episode 204, ladies and gentlemen, 204, Mitch Unfiltered with Hot Shot Scott Soden. Yes, sir. I just spent two hours prepping for the big discussion on the first episode of House of the Dragon, the new Game know. of Thrones so, I don't know series that. that... HBO? I don't know. We don't, You're not all over know, that? I don't, I don't even know that we get HBO. <laughs> Actually, we get every channel in the world, (laughs) and we never watch any of them. Yeah, you watch like four and a half. I spend my life answering texts from my sons. (laughs) Hey, Dad, what's the what's the password for Netflix? Oh, did you change? Did you change the password for Voodoo? How about this? How about that? I I know know. HBO Max. What's I? I don't know. (laughs) Never. I don't know the passwords. I don't know. Reset it. I don't know. Leave me alone. I don't know. Please leave me alone on passwords. This is the only text. In fact, if if they didn't need if they didn't need passwords to streaming services, yeah. I would never hear from either of them. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and if Scam Likely didn't call me, I, no one would ever call me. That's my best friend on the phone. Scam Mitch Likely. Unfiltered is available on all major podcast platforms. This episode two hundred and four. We really need to be rated and reviewed on the Apple Podcast platform. It really helps with booking guests with PR people. Become a Mitch Unfiltered patron. We're getting into football season now. $5 a month, you have access to all the bonus shows. Danny O'Neill and Slickhawk, and I'm hoping Randy Mueller, and the and the Seahawks No Table, and of course, musical entries from uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, Hot Shots God. Uh, if you'd like to be a patron with access to all of that content, $5 a month is all it takes. MitchUnfiltered.com. And as I always say, if the $5 a month is prohibitive, uh-huh. that's probably not the right I word. I don't think it is, but I know what you mean. Okay, yeah. but you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. If, if it's a problem yes. and you really, really want the content, but you really, really, really can't do the $5 yeah. a month, my first question is, how many times at Starbucks are you a month before <laughs> I grant you... God. We don't we don't guilt them <laughs> no, into it. We don't take care of their finances that's for right. them. Just no Mitch, questions just, asked. That's right. Just add, just just send a send an email, Mitch at MitchUnfiltered.com. <laughs> Tell me that you can't do the five dollars a month, but you really want the content. And of course, I'll return the favor by asking you how many times at Starbucks right. you've been, <laughs> and then probably giving you the content for nothing. Because we want you to hear the content if you want to hear the content. Stump the band, episode 204. Stump the band. We begin every show now with Stump the band. Are you ready? No, well, let's go. Baseball trivia. Oh, boy. Julio Rodriguez is now Hotshot Scott, not only a rich guy. Yeah, sure. He got a $15 million check the other day. Uh, but he's also over 20 home runs and to- 20 stolen bases. Did you know that? I did, yes. Okay. It took him 107 career games oh to accumulate his first 20 home runs and his first 20 stolen bases. There's only one player in modern baseball history who got to 20 and 20 in fewer than 107 games. So for episode 204 and the starter of Stump the Band, who is that person? Who is that masked man? And I'll give you a hint. Are we going to recognize that he did it? Da, da, what do you mean recognize da, that he did da, it? You said he did it. Da, da, da. I'm, I'm going to give you a hint. Will oh. we recognize that he did it? Okay. All right. All right. <laughs> there's there's got to be. All right. All right. All right. <laughs> Yes, yes, yes. Yes, yes. Come on, Hot I mean, I would have said Griffey because he got off to a hot start, didn't he? Not Griffey. He didn't get to 20 and 20 before 107th career game. I know that. Ah, Boy. Because there's only one guy. The guy who did it did it in 97 games. Yeah, that's what year. Who recently tested positive for steroids. Oh. 
Fernando Tatis Jr. is the only guy to do it sooner. And again, I'll give you the hint. Are we going to recognize him for his accomplishments? I'm talking about Fernando Tatis. Oh, Fernando Tatis. Are we going to recognize him or should we just now X him out because he was on performance enhancing drugs as Adidas did. And you'll hear that in the other stuff segment. Adidas just dropped Fernando's t- Fernando Tatis said, no, we're done. No second chances. No, no second chance. No, no, no. You know, we were talking over, over the big camping weekend. Were you? About Lawrence Taylor. Oh, Who admitted God. to doing cocaine during games. Oh, all the, God. But no one ever gives him any crap for using... Per- I mean, I guess it's up in the air as to whether cocaine enhances your performance oh, during you're games. Gonna, you're going to call that a performance-enhancing drug? Well, sure, yeah. Well, I wouldn't know, would you? I've heard from other people <laughs> that they've never felt more dialed into sports with more energy than using that stuff. But he never, ever Kind gets, of a tragic figure, Lawrence He Taylor. is, and maybe that's why, because he's had his struggles with it. He just kind of leave him alone. A lot but, more than just that. He's had a lot, right, of, yeah, yeah. A lot of problems with the, probably, the best, probably the best defensive football player I've ever seen. Yeah, can't argue. Yeah, yeah he was, oh my God. But, and how about what he jumped on? When he jumped on oh, Joe Theismann. Oh, don't say it. Oh. And he put his hands up to his helmet and oh, he waved I, in him in. Right. Like the, when he did that, you knew, okay. So that's right. The leg might be sitting in the middle of the field. <laughs> because Lawrence Taylor was the most feared guy on earth. Right. And yet he was like freaking out when exactly he looked right. it down and saw Joe Theismann. Right. Oh, my God. When the toughest guy on the field is freaking out, you just yeah. knew it was bad. Yeah. Judge Roger writes, do you know Judge Roger? I don't, no. Okay, Judge Roger writes, Mitch, in answer to your question about being arrested for DUI, if your car is parked on the side of the road and you're in it, that's the Marshawn Lynch story right. from last week. And then I brought up the whole key thing. If the key's out or in, yeah. that, might, that probably doesn't matter. I don't know that Judge Roger is really going to do much for us, but <laughs> okay, well. he writes, in most jurisdictions, including the state of Washington, he wasn't in the state of Washington. Oh, okay. He was in Las Vegas. Right. Um, if you're under the influence and in a car over which you have physical control and you are in a public place, you can be guilty of a misdemeanor crime called physical control. Okay. Keep up the good work on the podcast. Really happy for your success. <laughs> what does that mean? Physical control? I don't know. What if I'm in the passenger I don't seat? I don't know. I love Roger. Yeah. I love that a judge listens to he this. He listens to the show. The show. The Baby show. <laughs> yeah. I'm not sure he helped me all that much with yeah. this. I'm not so sure either. He's probably listening right now and saying, well, what do you want? You didn't pay me. <laughs> That's right. I gave you the answer to the question. Marshawn Lynch was on the side of the road, asleep at the wheel of a car that was missing a full tire. Right. And I'm like, okay, he's not driving that car. I don't think he's driving that car. You would hope not. It wouldn't get very far. You'd be going in a circle the whole Judge time. Roger. All right. Well, I'm back in Seattle. Do you notice that I'm back in front of you? I do, yes. Okay. Why don't you ask me how my trip was from Fort Lauderdale to Seattle, the, the, the plane ride last week? I remember you tweeted out that you have a story. Oh, so my please God. tell us how your flight was from where? Fort Lauderdale, you said? To Seattle. Nonstop, six hours and 15 minutes. Oh, from delightful Fort nonstop. That sounds good. Okay. Yeah. On Alaska Airlines, oh, terrific yeah. people. And if you're a T Mobile customer, you get free Wi Fi the whole time? I yes. don't know anything Go about on. that. Um, where do I begin? Okay. <laughs> okay. I'm in a window seat and there's a man in the aisle of my row and his wife, an older man who's on the aisle seat. Okay. And a, and a woman who's clearly his wife in the middle seat. And okay. I am in the window. Okay. And maybe three hours into a six hour flight, 
The older man on the aisle complains of chest pain. Oh, no. When you say older, just kind of give me an idea. Like, See, I knew you were going to. It's funny. I, I know exactly what you're going to ask each time. I would say he had a mask on. Yeah. Might be a pre-existing maybe condition eight, or something. Well, I'm going to tell you about that in okay, a second. Okay. Eight, 80, maybe oh. 75, 80, okay. 70s or 80 years old. He complained of chest pain and he announced to the flight attendant that he had a new pacemaker. Oh, no. Wife calls the flight attendant who asks for a doctor over the loudspeaker or their doctors. I thought that was just out of movie, like movies. I've never been on a flight. This is in my aisle. Now, do we have a doctor or a nurse on board? We have a passenger who's in some need. Oh, no. And it's in my aisle. So now we have a scary situation, yeah. 30,000 feet in the air, about two and a half hours into a six hour and 15 minute flight. Now, at this moment, I want to tell you something because I really don't want to go on with the story without you knowing the end of the story. I would very typically not give you the end of the story in the middle. It'd make for a bad story. Yes. But I have to do it. And you're going to understand why okay. as I tell the rest of the story. And the end of the story is that he felt a little bit better. He got oxygen. Everything turned out okay. The paramedic, they didn't have to do an emergency landing, which I okay. thought we were going to have to do. Of course, yeah. The paramedics were waiting in Seattle. He walked off with the paramedics, and it seemed like everything, it seemed like an all's well that ends well ending. Okay, okay? I'm, I'm glad you told me that because if I'm sitting here laughing about a guy who exactly. died, yeah, That's we can't it. have that. Okay, yeah. so exactly. I wanted you to know a little decorum that it turned, show, out, it, it turned out from what I could tell fine. Okay. He okay. started feeling better late stages. I want to tell you that's the end of the story and now I want to go back to the story and tell you part of it. Okay. okay. <laughs> There's two bits of controversy as it pertains to him being in my row. Okay? okay. We'll start with the biscotti cookie controversy. <laughs> Still those. Do you know biscotti cookies? <laughs> Did I travel it all this summer? Okay. So you know okay. biscotti of cookies. Of course. They're the cookies for people who don't know that the airlines give you that you really don't want. Like you would never buy them at a vending machine. Never. Never. It'd never. be like your 14th choice out of but cookies. But they, because you're a little hungry over a six hour, they, they, they do the trick. They, they're not terrible. They're not terrible. No, they're not. They're, they're not, not yeah. terrible. Especially for a coffee drinker. You maybe yeah. do a little Dunkaroo. Yeah. So the biscotti cookie controversy, I know that you're dying to know what's the biscotti yeah. cookie controversy. Now you have to visualize the scene. Okay. Older man in the aisle seat, complaining of chest pains, mm-hmm. people all around now, doctors have come from other seats. Oh, good. Okay. Yes, we've got flight attendants all stopping what they're doing. Everybody's huddled around him. You've got the wife who's scared that's sitting right next to me in the middle seat, and Mitch Levy in the in the <laughs> stop laughing yeah. in the window seat. <laughs> And just before he started complaining of chest pains, they had given me a couple of packs of biscotti cookies. A couple? That were, yeah, they gave me two. I don't know why. I had two little packs wow. of biscotti cookies. Big time. And they're sitting on my tray table, and I had not started to snack on them yet because I didn't feel like I wanted them at the time that they gave them. But now we've got a full-fledged <laughs> turmoil, and I'm staring at my cookies. Right. <laughs> And I'm wondering, is this going to look bad yeah. if the guy on the window, while they're, they're now applying oxygen to him, oh, they're asking they're asking for his medications, the whole thing, and I'm getting to, and I got these biscotti cookies. 
Boy, are these good. How you feeling okay there, buddy? Oh, man, these cookies are delightful. And I'm wondering, with all the people kind of huddled around him, yeah. is it going to look horrible if I open yeah. up one and I just start munching on a, on a couple of biscotti cookies? Did you want them, really? Or, or was it the whole, I probably can have them, so now I want them more? I'm not sure. Okay, <laughs> but you wanted them. <laughs> I'm not sure, yeah. but the visual of Mitch Levy oh, in the yeah. window while they're applying oxygen to this guy, munching on a cut, noshing on a couple of cookies. Yeah, yeah. I just was wondering whether that's a bad look <laughs> and whether I have to wait until all, all is clear before I actually start. See, now you know why I wanted to tell you the end of the story yeah, yeah, yeah. before I told you about the biscotti cookie. Right. I turned to the window yeah. and I started munching Did on the biscotti. Yeah, I opened one of the packs. <laughs> And I started munching on the biscotti cookies, thinking that really no one's paying attention to me. And when I turned to make sure he's okay and watch, see, get, get an update on what's going on, one of the flight attendants looks at me like, are you serious, really? dude? Like, oh. are you sitting there snacking <laughs> during a time like this? Nothing makes me hungrier than an 80-year-old about to die from a heart attack. Boy, that just gives me an appetite. <laughs> I just wanted to have a cookie. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So that's the, uh, that's the first part of the story okay. that I wanted to share with you and the listeners. But the bigger part of the story comes a little later. Now, we're now three hours, three and a half hours into a six hour and 15 minute flight. After about 45 minutes or an hour, the doctor seems satisfied that he's doing okay. He's literally got the oxygen tank. She's holding the tank in, in the middle seat. Yeah. I'm eating my cookies. Yeah. There's a cord from the tank in the middle seat. To his oxygen, to, to his mask, sure, yeah, yeah. and he, they've got him reclined. They've got him, and he, he says, I'm feeling all right. I'm feeling a little bit better. Right. The doctor goes back to his seat, all right? Yeah. Everybody continues to go do their thing, and we continue with the flight. But there's still about two and a half hours when I realize oh, no. oh, I've no. got to pee. I knew it. I knew it. I knew that was coming. How are you going to possibly get by an oxygen? You're going to kick it with your foot on accident. It's going to rip out of his I, There's face. no way. The only way I can get out is if I ask the man to get up. Yeah, right. Now, we've got two hours and 15 or two hours and 30 minutes. And you know when you've got to pee and you're, really, you're not allowed oh, and yeah. you start well, thinking about it. The same mindset as the cookies. When you're not allowed to eat them, you want them more. That's exactly yeah. right. Yeah, yeah. So oh. I proceed to sit there. I like, I can't ask this guy to move aside. I can't, I can't do this. Yeah. I'm just going to have to either pee my pants, <laughs> just a little. Trucker's lemonade. They do it in the Gatorade bottle so they don't have to stop. Or I'm going to try to sit there for two hours and 15 minutes of a flight uncomfortably having to pee. Yeah, but it's going to be more than 2.15 because gonna, they're going to come check him out. It's going to take a while for him to get off, right? Stanky? I'm getting there. Okay. And That's all part of the story, yeah, Hacha. Yeah. You're touching on the big part well, of the story. We, we've all flown. <laughs> okay. I decide I don't really want to pee in my pants because then I got to sit in it for another two hours. Yeah, so I'm trying yeah. to hold it. I am trying. I am not young anymore. Yeah. <laughs> I'm 55 years old. Right. I'm trying to hold the pee. Yeah. And I successfully start reading a little book or get on my phone, whatever. And I get my mind off of it and I'm doing pretty well. And we get to the point where we're about 40 minutes, 30 minutes out of Seattle. And I've held it in successfully yeah, for now an hour and 45 You minutes. can see the finish line like you're approaching. Right. Yeah. One of the flight attendants, I think the one that caught me eating the cookies, mm -hmm. comes over the loudspeaker and says the following. Ladies and gentlemen, 
We're about 30 minutes. We're about to start. Our, or the, the pilot comes on and says, we're starting our initial descent. Right. Everybody uh, buckle up, seatbelts, whatever. Back to your seats. And all Everybody that, yeah. back to your seats. No more using the lavatories, whatever. And she says, now when we get to Seattle, we're going to have the paramedics come on board to help our ill passenger. We ask all of you to hold your seats and let them come in, get the passenger out and his family. Yeah. I figure I'm kind of part of the family at this point. <laughs> That's right. We're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna dad, let the wait for me, Dad. We're, we're gonna let the paramedics come in, oh, get the man off board with his wife, yeah. and then we'll deplane or and so I hit my call button. Yeah. Now I gotta take a leak in the worst sure. way. I've been there. It's awful. Okay. It's a bad feeling. I've now held it for an hour and forty-five minutes. Yeah. And I call the woman over. It's the same woman that caught oh, me eating no. the cookies. <laughs> this guy. You got any more and cookies? And I said to them, I made a, what I think still to this moment is a very reasonable request. Okay. I said to her, now, you got to understand, she's now looking at me over, that they're listening to this conversation. Okay? The mother, uh, the, the wife and the husband are sitting there. He's still got oxygen laid out, right, whatever. Right, right. And I have to have this conversation kind of within their earshot. There's no way to be to have a private right. conversation. So I say to the woman, listen, I have a request. When they come to take out, take our passenger out, our mm -hmm. passenger, can I go behind them before everybody deplanes? Because I've had to use the restroom yeah. for the last two hours and 15 minutes. Yeah, it's actually fair because you were. Yeah. It's, is that not? An, I mean, I Six literally. Six hours I, is a long time to go a flight without using the no, restroom. Two and a half hours I've had to go. I didn't want to bother him. There was no way to get out. Yeah. I just want to be after they before everybody else deplanes. I really got to go to the bathroom. Can I just get off the plane and use the bathroom? And which she looks at me and says, no. Really? No. Wow. I said, no. Now we're 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 on our way down. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And she said, we're gonna deplane as normal appropriately after they get out, starting with the front of the plane. It would have killed her to let you go, right? I mean, I'm like, wow. I have to use. Yeah. And so I turned to her, I said, but I have to use. She said, then go now. What do you mean go now? Just what I said, go now. Okay. She makes the guy get up. Oh my gosh. Why? The wife get up. Oh. The husband gets up. He he starts up being apologetic because now he realizes that the guy in the the guy in the in the yeah. in the on, on the window who's been eating the cookies been blocking you. The, the, the guy's had to pee for two and a half hours. <laughs> right. So they literally help him up. They oh. go through this whole as opposed to just letting right. me off the plane and not right. bothering him. That's right. They they make him get up. She gets up. Yeah. They make me go. I go down to the front to the to the to the laboratory, which is now locked because now we're full on in descent. Right. Yeah. And bumpy. Oh, boy. Now I get in this bathroom and I am peeing, honest to God, Scott, all over the oh, place. God. Do you remember? Do you remember oh. as a kid when you turn on a hose in the backyard without holding it? You just turn it on and it would kind of. Oh, yeah, that's right. I just flop all over the place. Yeah. I'm peeing on me. <laughs> oh, God. I'm peeing on the on the on the sink. I'm missing. Oh, the, I have no. Geez. I mean, it's rocking and rolling. Yeah, yeah. We're going down and I am just peeing all over the place. OK, Jeez. now. I try to wash my hands, get out of there. I look like I've been through a, to hell and back. You may as I well try. just pee your pants at Now, that guess point. what? Yeah, you got to plug him again. He's got to get up. That's right. <laughs> she
She's got to get up oh, and I got to get back to my seat and buckle my seatbelt. Yeah. The PS to the story is when the paramedics came on board, two or three people from other aisles totally took advantage from the aisles nearby and went right behind them to get out of, get of off the plane. Of course. Yeah. Without even asking. Nobody said anything. And people in like aisles 22, 23, they were getting off before one and two because they were following the paramedics right. and they were following this guy off the plane. Taking advantage. That's my story. I'm glad you asked me how my plane ride was. <laughs> Would it have killed her to just let you just tag along with them? Part of me thinks she... <laughs> Didn't understand what I was asking. Yeah, maybe. I mean, how in the right mind do you think it's better? You're better off asking the guy to get up while the plane is while we're going down. Right. And yeah, but even if it wasn't like forget the descending, that's part of it. But just to make the guy get up twice, just all I'm asking in 30 minutes. I, think, I tag along, I piggyback right with him, and we go. I think she did not like the visual of me probably, snacking on the cookies yeah. while everybody else was worried about this man. <laughs> that's probably part of it. Yes. <laughs> Staring out the window with your your chin on your on your hand, enjoying your flight. <laughs> but how was your trip other than the flight? You enjoyed yourself? Well, yeah, I enjoyed myself. I was in D.C. with my in-laws. Yeah. And then I was home with my mom on her 88th birthday. Saw the picture. Nice yeah. picture. Yeah. And so uh, it was nice being there. I went to a Miami Dolphins preseason game. Did we talk about this on the last? No, but you, yeah. you tweeted out the yeah. humidity was 100%. God, I was schwitzing. I was well, you're not acclimated anymore, are you, buddy? I mean, for years you lived it, but you've been here for a while now. Yeah, so. but I don't know that I was ready for a preseason football game in about 100 degrees and 175% humidity. I don't think I was ready. North Carolina wasn't that bad, but it, I had never experienced humidity like yeah, that Yeah, it was before. probably stifling hot. Brutal. Yeah. But just the instant sweat. Yeah. I feel like I, just, I was just sweating for a yeah. week straight. Yeah. In the hotel, out of the hotel, didn't matter. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, it was a good stay. Good. The, the flight back was... That's crazy. Oh, my gosh. God. I'm just happy that all's well. I think all's well that ends well. I think he was okay. Good. They got him off board. They didn't have to make the emergency landing. We didn't have a full-fledged heart attack. Right. I I've been on planes where people have gotten sick. I have. I was on a plane with my own son. He was an infant. My little one got sick, and it was really touch and go for a while. They had to get ice. He was out of fever. Oh. He had an inner ear infection. I've been on planes. You must have been on planes where people have gotten sick. But here's the difference. Yeah. When it's in your row... Yeah. It's like right on top of everything is right on top of you. Right. It's a different that's a different animal. Sure. You're right in the middle of it. You know, the whole thing. And you you don't know how it's going to turn out. And you're holding your breath and having a cookie. And and who knew it would create an appetite for cookies for you? <laughs> <laughs> Nothing like potential emergencies to give you the munchies. Guests on this episode 200 and what is it for? Yes. 204. Former baseball GM Steve Phillips on the Julio contract. Right. We're going to talk about that in our next segment. I've got a lot of thoughts on that. The Mariners' wild card chances would seem very good. We've got the Seahawks' no table. Joe and Brady and I will hash out the final preseason game, final projections. Did you remember a, a, a show that I used to do on the radio called the Pre Prediction Show at the end of the at the end of the year? Did I you know anything it about just that? Being a pain in the ass for the producer. Very to put big, together. very yes. big. That's pain what in I the remember ass. about it. So yes. when I was a when I was a kid, uh, not a kid, kid, but a young adult my father and i used to notice that on remember ted koppel's nightline when it was oh yeah ted course. koppel yeah. at the end of the year every year they would do something called a prediction show where they would have like james carville doing uh politics and they'd have frank deford doing sports frank DeFord. and they'd have like i don't know mary matt i don't know who, who the third person was yeah and they would do a prediction show and they would come back at the the, the following year they would ask for predictions of what's going to happen in the next coming year. Yeah. And then a year later, they'd bring the next, the three panelists back. Yeah, that's cool. And they'd replay 
all of their them, predictions yeah. and make a fool out of them or the one if they got them right. And then they'd show the the actual results and, you know, yeah, all, yeah. all that. It was very good. So I stole that idea like every other idea that I had. Right. I stole that idea <laughs> and I did a sports version, which you're you're referring to, mm. where the producer had to over the year oh. put the whole and I would have like Graz and Softy and Gastineau and whatever. Everybody would come in and I'd ask them to make and we would go and we would go for like three hours. That's right. It was almost the full like I was going to say the whole show. I thought. three yeah. hours of projections and what's going to happen the coming year. And I would ask about all the all sports, but in a little bit of non-sports. So I've got the I got the Seahawks. I'm going to borrow a page out of the prediction show and I'm going to ask Joe and Brady to make projections right. on some on some different fun things that might happen or might not happen Great. to the Seahawks. And then we play it back for them when? The end of the season? End of the season. Nice. Can't wait. That's what I'm going to do. All right. That's what's going to happen on 204. The prediction show, Seahawks no table style. And then Rick Neuheisel's back to preview the college football season, what to expect from the Huskies. The dogs are in action against Kent State That's right. to kick yes. off the season this coming Saturday at 7.30 Pacific time. Didn't Don James coach there? He did. He sure did. He did, didn't he? Yeah. It's funny you bring up college football because when I was camping with a bunch of my high school buddies, the Seahawk talk turned immediately immediately to, who's the best quarterback at playing college football this year? Because as Seahawk fans, that's what they're focused on now, who the best college quarterback is. So, I don't know, maybe Newheisel will shed some light on that at some point during the season. I will. I, I will do, we'll do it in the, on this episode right, 204. Good. That's all okay. Seahawk fans have to hang their hats on is who's the best college quarterback right now all righty hot shot scott episode 204 doesn't happen without our partners like daniel's broiler a northwest staple for the best steaks and seafood a family-owned company and some of the most spectacular outside seating options this summer i think my favorite is the outside patio overlooking the world at bellevue place but i love south lake union and leshy too with the nfl season now essentially here so is the Beat the Boys, presented by Fireside Home Solutions, where you pick football games against us at Unfiltered. Begin your search with John Waterstrat and Fireside because they're amazing. They're great partners of Mitch Unfiltered. FiresideHomeSolutions.com. The Kirkland Office of Cross Country Mortgage, Jordan Flowers, J-Flow. Interest rates have leveled off and even dropped a skosh. Please let Jordan Flowers Cross Country team aid you in your purchase or refinance Second homes, seven minutes is all you need. On the phone with the lead man, Jordan Flowers, could save you a lot of money. 425-890-2957, 425-890-2957. Evergreen Golf Call, tax advisors, certified financial planners, experienced portfolio managers working together to bring retirement planning, taxes, and investments under one roof. Evergreengk.com, more than just a financial advisor. Evergreen is everything wealth. And Zeke's Pizza, it's just amazing how much Zeke's has grown in the last four years since the podcast started in the midst of some really tough times too. Seward Park opens its doors, brand new location. The Biggie at Mount Lake Terrace's station is ready. Homegrown in the Northwest, we love Zeke's Pizza. This is episode 204 and it begins right now. Unfiltered. I went out of my way to find fault with Ichiro, especially uh. later in his career. It felt like he was about himself more than he was about the team. He was kind of didn't want to steal a base because he doesn't want to get caught stealing. He didn't want to swing for the fences because it would bring down his batty. There was there was just an aura about him. Unfiltered. Think about the 12-year-old kid that was at that game. He's got Justin Verlander, probably his hero if he's an Astros fan. No 
hitter through six innings and they're taking him out of the game? Can you just leave him in the game until he gives up a hit for the 12-year-old? Mitch is unfiltered. Shot Scott, episode 204 is now. We just warmed up with a, a long flight story. What was longer, the flight itself or the story that I told on? <laughs> oh, the story times oh, two. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> uh, episode 204 is now officially underway. You're back from camping. You're all, you're all safe and sound. Are you showered since you're back from camping? It's a great question. Yeah. I am. My first shower since, since Thursday. Ooh. Really? And by the way, by the way it's, it's, not, it's not four days of sitting in your house. No, no, you're in the dirt. Like you're literally have like I be, at least before bed I would take a baby wipe and wipe my face down and the, just to look at the filth that's on it. You've been doing this every year for how long? I think maybe five years. Does she outgrow years? this at some point? It's a good question. Now the Thank good you. the good Thank news. You. I ask good questions. Yes, you do. Long but good. Um, <laughs> okay. The, the good news is is that she loves the kids that go and they're all kind of her age. Yeah. And my friend has a daughter who's two days. They're like, they're separated by two days. So they're like the exact same age and they really get along. So I don't know if, if, if both kids her age keep going, maybe she won't outgrow it. She seems to love it now and there's no signs of it slowing down. Is so. she over the whole Little League World Series now? Is that a, a long distant memory? Well, last uh, week, I'll have you the know. Hana, the Hawaii boys team won the whole thing. Oh, did they? On Sunday. Oh, yeah. Mercy ruled them. Really? Yeah. Beat of... the international team. I can't remember who it was, but. Oh, yeah. yeah really Costa Rica. Good. No, I don't think so. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> go ahead. I'll have you know that uh, this past week she was the twelfth and final player selected oh. for the Seattle Spice Club team. So we've moved on to club, and we're getting the Little League World Series what out do of you our mean minds. The twelfth and final player well, selected. Well, the, it's a it's a second year fourteen U team. So they are they they had all they had eleven kids, and they were waiting. They're looking for one more catcher, one more catcher. And before the World and Series, they didn't, they didn't see the final inning of the final game. <laughs> That's right. But before the World <laughs> Series, he said, "Stay in touch. Call me yeah, when this you get is back." The guy you said you haven't heard. Yeah, yeah. Well, there was a few of them. There was okay. a few coaches okay. I was brokering okay. with, you know, okay. her yeah. services. Yeah. So he, she had a private tryout last week, and they offered. You it have to, to pay her, for so. this, pay to play for the private tryout. Yeah. No, 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 oh. to play on the team. Do you pay for your son's yes. travel team? Yes. Okay. Well, I thought when you go to the Little League World Series, you get recruited. <laughs> That'd be you nice. Get some sort of scholarship. <laughs> That'd be nice. Yes. <laughs> but she's the twelfth player added, so they got a hell of a player for. Well, I'll have you know that as you were camping, <laughs> yes, your Seattle Mariners, your hometown nine. We're taking three out of four from a very good Cleveland Guardians team. I can't say it's it. It's tough. It's tough. Cleveland Guardians. Who can say that? Um, and in fact, now some would say that they probably didn't deserve to win some of the games that they won. Yeah. But the game that they lost, the one game that they lost was a killer because they had a two-run lead late in the game. We were coming back. My wife and Brett and myself, we were listening to it on the radio. They were up by two runs. And this guy, Gary Hill, who who uh, sometimes is on the Mariners broadcast, late in the game, he keeps going on and on and how good their bullpen is, how comfortable oh, no. they are. And I keep saying to my <laughs> yeah. wife, I keep saying to Brett, stop it, Gary, stop it. Yeah, You're giving him the kiss of death. And he keeps going on. Oh, they're so comfortable in one-run games, <laughs> two-run games. Yeah. And this is the best bullpen in baseball. We literally get home, turn the car off, Come inside, and he had given up three runs oh, to lose the geez. game four to three. So the one game that they had lost, yeah. they probably should have won. But then you said there was something they won. They yeah, probably okay. So well, we don't we don't, we don't like we don't like to talk. About okay, those. fine. <laughs> thirty-four games to go. Hot shot. They're seventy and fifty-eight. They've played one hundred and twenty-eight games, so they got thirty-four games to go. If the season ended today, which it doesn't, and it's stupid to even talk about. Yes, uh, they'd be the number two wild card. There mm -hmm. are three wild cards. 
They are one game behind in the loss column, the number one wild card, which is the Rays. And that's a big thing because the number two wild card plays the number one wild card at their place in a best of three opening round playoff series. Okay. So they're number two. They're chasing number one. They are two wins ahead of number three, who's chasing them. That's Toronto. Okay. And they're two and a half games ahead of the Orioles who are out. So they're in pretty good position yeah. with 34 games. 34 games That's to crazy. go. crazy. Only 34. 34 games to go. So if the season ended today, which it doesn't, and it's stupid to even talk about, sorry, Hugh, they would be in Tampa for a best of three series against the Rays for the right to go to the next round of the playoffs. Okay. So there you have it. You'd take that, wouldn't you? Uh, yes, but I want to get a little greedy. I just want to be the number one. Pl- I like for those games to be here, and I'd like to go. That'd be awesome, yes. I-, I might go to Tampa. Who knows? I might take Alaska Airlines, hope for that <laughs> flight attendant, hold in my pee and go to Tampa. for the. But but I'd like the games to be right here. Oh, that'd be amazing. Our, yeah, the yeah, three they games. They deserve it. Come yeah. on. Yeah. I don't know if they deserve well, 21 it. 21 years, you don't deserve it? Yeah, they do. Thank you so they much. Deserve. So that's the story of the team. But the bigger news, really bigger. Now, you might say, how can you say that, Mitch? But bigger than one playoff run is the news that came out on Friday, which is your superstar young 21-year-old. Mm-hmm. And the team has agreed to a lifetime, essentially a lifetime contract. Yeah. And I think when you sit back and you think, Okay, what's a bigger story, the stretch run of this season or that contract? If you really think he's as good as we all think he is, that's a lot bigger story than just what I know it sounds crazy, but it's it's a bigger story than one playoff run, even though it's the first playoff run in 20 something years. Yeah. Julio Rodriguez essentially signed his name to a contract that states without stating it, I will never play for the Yankees. I will never play for the Dodgers. I will never play for the Red Sox. I will never play for anyone else as long as you want me here. Yeah, incredible. As long as you want me here, I am here for you, at least for the next 18 years. I don't know how many years he plans to play Major League Baseball. Yeah. But, I mean, that's, that is a, I mean, think about that. Our biggest, everybody's biggest fear in all of these markets around the country that have baseball teams is we're going to have a great player and ultimately He's just going to go to the Yankees. Yeah. He's just going to go to the Dodgers. He's just going to go to a team that'll pay him more than everyone's the farm system for the big three. That's right. Yeah. And he agreed to a contract that stipulates they have control. Now he may still play for one of those. They may trade him if there's a no, there's a no trade, but if he agrees to it, they may have had enough of him. And after eight years, or maybe he falls off and isn't, isn't the player they think well, that's what that's, that would be the, the way that they would, you know, fall in love with him after eight years or fall out of love with him after eight years. So there are ways that, but as long as they say, we want you here and we're willing to pay you, he will not go to one of those teams. That's a huge story. Huge. So he signs this contract. Have you explored the contract? A little bit. Yeah. Okay. As I'm sitting in the cottage cafe in Cleveland, Washington, like trying to figure it out. Piper Piper tells me that Julio signed a deal. Julio signed a contract. (laughs) Learned it from TikTok. I was like, oh, there you go. And the way I figure it, Scott, is on this episode, what, 204, we can deal with this contract in one of two ways. Okay. We can just, the first way is we can just say congratulations to the Mariners. Congratulations to Mariners fans. 
The club now has career control of a young man that we all hope will be one of the stars and faces of the game. This lovable 21-year-old, congratulations to Julio. He's going to make life-changing money that will take care of him. And if he's smart with his money, generations of Rodriguez, generations right. of Julios to come. His kids are like, let's go. His kids. <laughs> no college for his me. His kids' kids. <laughs> are all going to be taken yeah. care of because of this contract. And we can end right there. We can just say, L'chaim, Mazel Tov, and that's it. <laughs> yeah. And end the conversation. Or we can dive into the contract a little bit. Let's dive in. Because I do have a question for you at some point. We can dive into the contract, which some people are calling complicated. I don't think it's very complicated. I think it's very interesting. And we can give some opinions that might not be appreciated by some Mariners fans. As we continue to celebrate this excitement. It's going to yes. put a damper on it a little yes. bit. Okay. I could stop and we could not go any further, but I figure since it's a podcast and right now I would say to the people that don't want us to dive into this and don't want to hear Mitch give his opinion on this contract, there's a little fast forward button. Yeah. You can either use that by tapping it a few times. The 15 seconder? Or yeah, yeah, probably the way I talk, it's probably going to take about 155,000. Or you could just put your finger on the little knob that oh, just, and just move it across. That's right. Right. You don't want to hear it? You don't want to hear it. Okay, I want to hear it. Okay, but I, wanna, I, I do want to say. Okay. I do want to say that Let's first understand the. Do you understand? Does everybody understand the contract? That's. That, I think that's the first order of business. If we're going to talk about it, we've got to make sure that everybody understands. And I and I can pretty much simplify it. Please do. In maybe ninety seconds or less, times a few. Because they, I mean, they keep saying the potential of eighteen years. Okay, right. It's a very. So. It's it's not that complicated. Okay. Good. Okay. Give it to me then. The only thing that gets a little complicated is the MVP votes and what he has to do for it to go here. So we won't get into the minutia of it. But I'll just tell you that it's an eight-year it's an eight-year contract. Okay, you're going to hear 470 million. You're going to hear 210 million. We'll get to those numbers. You're going to hear 340 million, 360. It's an eight-year contract that will pay him 120 million dollars over the next eight years, okay. which is an average salary. Bellevue math, Bellevue Community College math of $15 million a year. He is going to make an average salary of $15 million a year over the eight, next eight years for $120 million. And part of that $120 million was a $15 million check that they slid across the table Oof. when he signed. He just put in on Friday, whatever, at Wells Fargo. <laughs> it hasn't or, cleared yet, but when it does, it's going to be awesome. The teller said, give us a couple of days, <laughs> let that right. thing clear. <laughs> I don't know about the Seattle Mariner group. Have you ever have you have you ever deposited a fifteen million dollar check? Ooh. Julio at age twenty one deposited a fifteen million. I definitely didn't at twenty one working for you. I'll tell you that when I was running your board for six dollars an hour. No, I did not. And yet I walked into Tom Lee's office and demanded <laughs> that they give you a fifteen million dollar check. Right. <laughs> so one hundred and twenty million over those eight years. Okay. Okay. Then what happens is up in the air. Okay. So. In after year seven of the eight, after year seven of the eight, the Mariners will be faced with a decision. There'll be one year left to go on the eight-year contract, and they will be faced with the decision of whether to pick up his option or not. It's all up to them. Okay. Now, where it gets complicated is we don't know what that option's going to be. It's a yes or no. It's not like they're going to create the option. No, it's going to be a determined option. That will be determined based on how he does up until that point. And then the numbers will come out and they will either say, 
yes, we want it, or no, we don't want it. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. After the seventh year, he'll still have one more year on the on the $120 million. Right. One more year contract. at $15 million. Average salary, Roughly, $15 million. Yeah, yeah. Right. And then he'll be 29 years old. Yeah. And but they have to decide whether they're gonna they want eight more years of them or ten more years of them before the last year of the contract. Gotcha. Okay. Now, what determines the definition of the option, what they're saying yes or no to? And that is how many MVP awards he wins in those seven years leading up to, or how many votes he gets, or how many top ten finishes in the MVP, wow. or how many top five. That's gonna determine. It's probably going to be eight years, could be 10. We'll get to that in a second. Okay. That's going to be that's going to determine how much money for those next eight years they're saying yes or no to. It, he has no say in it. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. It's unusual. But... So, so in other words, if he doesn't do well, or if he doesn't do well enough to where he's in MVP balloting a lot. Or he can still be a good player. And not, not be, be in the in... top 10 in the MVP. Right. He could be a good player. Yeah. The bottom line of that, the bottom, the basement price would be eight years, two hundred million. Okay. If he doesn't get any MVP votes, but he's a good player or not a good player or gets hurt or whatever, the the lowest amount would be an eight year, two hundred million dollar option that they would have to say either yes or no to. Okay. Another eight years, another two hundred million. Do the math. That's twenty five million dollars okay. a year. Twenty five million dollars average salary. He'd be twenty nine at the time. 30 years old at the time, and they would have to say yes to an eight-year, $200 million. Now, if he's in MVP voting, which we all hope he will be, yeah. if he gets us a couple top fives, that just keeps going up. The Instead of doing 200, it's 220, 240, 260, 280. And in the, in the most glorious world, yeah. where he's a two-time MVP at that point, he's Mike Trout uh-huh. or whatever, that number that they would have to say yes or no to would be 10 years, $350 million. I can do that math. Okay, that's $35 million a year. Yeah. That would be the that would be if he really is a superstar between now and then. Best case scenario. They would have to say yes or no to 10 years, $350 million. Okay. And that's how they come to, okay. And that would make the deal total worth how much? If, if it... If he ends up at the best case scenario, he ends up with the three three hundred fifty million dollar ten year extension on yeah. top of the one twenty. That would make it a what? That would make it four hundred seventy yeah. million over eighteen years. That's the way the contract runs. Now, before we finish, the other side to that is: what if they say no? Hmm. What if after seven years, with one more year left on that eight year one hundred twenty million dollar contract, they say? We've had enough of Julio for whatever reason. He's been hurt. He hasn't. He's been a bust. He hasn't been as good. Whatever. Yeah. We don't. We don't want him anymore. But okay, dumb question. But can they say no even if he has an if he's two time MVP? You can say no. You can just say no no matter how he plays. They can you can always say no. Okay. say no. Maybe you just don't want to spend it at that point. They, even they can great. always say no. Okay, gotcha. They can say no to anything that they want. Okay. If they say no after the seventh year, he plays that eighth year, and then he has the choice of do I want to be a free agent right now uh-huh. or I can make them pay me another 90 million over five years. Wow. Interesting. Even if I've blown out my knee, even if I'm a career 112 hitter, I have the opportunity to make them give me another 90 million over five years. 90 plus 120 is what? 210. 
And that's why it's a $210 million guarantee. If he wants to make that, he knows he's going to get 120. Yeah. And then if they say, no, we don't want more of you, he can make them give them another 90 to make it 210. It'd be 210 million over 13 years, right? Yeah. Eight plus five, 13 years, 120 plus 90, 210 million. Okay. You got it? Yeah, yeah. That's the contract. You now understand the entire contract. Yeah. The only thing I haven't gone into is the specifics. And I can, I have it here you if you want to, of how many MVP votes he's got to get to get to 220 million on eight years to 240 million on eight years, 260 million, 280 million. Crazy. Okay. Yeah. I'm telling you, he needs to be a two time MVP pretty much okay. to get the biggie, which is the 10 year, $350 million deal. Gotcha. That's what you need to know. That's the story. A lot of people right now are wishing that they hit the fast forward. <laughs> to be fair, they feel that often throughout the podcast. So what, what's different about this? Yes, go ahead. Second time around, you can hit the fast forward button. <laughs> when you look at this deal, and I'm going to be careful of how I choose my words. All right. Because you're never going to criticize the young man for signing a deal. He's rich for the rest of his life, yeah. He's got a guarantee of $210 million. Again, right. he's going to take care of everybody in his family and their and and their offspring and their offspring right. and their offspring. So yeah, at, at day's end, they're all winners. That's right. Okay. So you, you you explore this with that being the first thing. I don't want anybody Mitch, you're telling me he's, he's an right, idiot, whatever. Right, right. This deal is a grand slam home run for the Seattle Mariners. Mm. Okay. It's a single or double for him. And that's only because I'm comparing it to what maybe he could have gotten and what he could have made. I'll make my point in a different way. And people disagree with this, and I get it. 470, you know, you keep yeah, right, saying yeah. 470 million. Let me put it this way, and you'll hear me ask Steve Phillips this very question on this show. Scott Boris, you ever heard of him? Sure. He would never, if he was the agent of Julio Rodriguez, agree to this contract. Yeah. Never, ever, ever. In fact, Scott Boris somewhere is either chuckling or scratching his head like, why did they do that? Yeah. Okay? Now, you might ask, what's the problem with the contract? The problem with the contract is, yes, yes, he's protected and he's going to get $210 million over 13 years should he want it and things not work out. Mm -hmm. But in every scenario and option, where he's either a good player for eight years or a very good player for eight years or a great player for eight years or one of the faces of baseball. In every one of those scenarios, he will be making vastly, vastly under market value no matter what. Yeah. And you can start wherever you'd like to start. Let's start with the big, the big number that we keep hearing, $470 million. If he's a two-time MVP and he's 29 years old, and this is nine years from now. Yeah. And he's the face of baseball, one of the faces of baseball. And he's getting ready to sign a 10-year contract. What will guys be making yeah. for 10-year contracts at that time? It ain't going to be $35 million <laughs> a year. Right. Because right. Shohei Otani next year is going to get $50 million a year. Yeah. And Soto's going to – they will be making $60, $65 million. Guys that are two-time MVPs, the Mariners will have at 10 years $35 million a deal way, way, way under market value. In fact, at that point, he'll be a Mariner, two-time MVP. They'll be signing free agents 
That for might more, make more than him. That yeah. might make more than yeah. him. Okay, I'm not saying he's going to be dissatisfied. Well, that, that I was I'm not saying ask it's you, a bad deal. Is there a chance he'll be dissatisfied? I, I, I'm not going to go there because he's a great kid and whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm trying to make a point here. Because sometimes the deal might be too good for the Mariners to where you're going to piss him off at some point. I don't know. I'm just so wondering. if he's a good player, not a great MVP, it's eight years, two hundred million. What is that? Twenty-five million dollars a year. Will good play? Will all-star players nine years from now that are that are 29 years old, be making $25 million a year. They're making more than that now. Then there's 220, then there's 240, then there's 260. The point that I raise is I'm really happy for him. I'm really happy for the Mariners. I'm really happy for us. I think it's a fantastic day. I'm not trying to rain on anybody's parade. Yeah. But this is a real, to me, this is a bona, this is a, this is a club friendly contract. He did them a lot of favors. It may just be because of who his agent is. If he were represented by somebody else, a bulldog, it would have been a lot more of a ball buster. Yeah. And, and I'll go. I'll go one step further with you. And I probably should have done this at the beginning. You got to really start. Like if he were my client and I were representing him in this negotiation, I would say to Julio before we do anything with the Mariners, let's talk about what the greatest situation. That possibly could happen to you would be, and then we'll kind of scale down from that. Okay. Let's assume for a second they decided, like Soto seems to be headed towards, that they're going to play it year to year to year, play the first six years of club control, and become a free agent at the end of the year. Mm -hmm. Okay? I'm not advising that he would do that. Most guys don't. Tatis didn't. All these great players don't. Maybe Soto will, maybe he won't. But... That's within their right. He could play year to year, yep. make bubkiss the first three years. Yeah. Then he goes to salary arbitration and he makes more and more the last three years. Then he's 27 years old and he's a free agent. Okay, let's talk about the perfect world, the perfect storm, and then we'll scale back. If he did that and he was a great player, he would make 65, approximately 65 million in the first six years. He'd make peanuts this year. Peanuts next year, peanuts the third year, and then he'd make like 10, 11, and 12 in his arbitration years. So that that comes out to be, 30. actually, that's not right, 20, 21, 22 in his arbitration year. It comes out to be about $65 million. Okay. Okay? And then he'd be a free agent. And then it's just on. Then it's on. Yeah. He's a 27-year-old free agent six years from now. Right. After Shohei gets his $50 million, after Soto gets what... You tell me what a superstar... <laughs> I'm talking about best-case scenario. Now everybody's yelling, well, best-case... But we need to define what best-case scenario yes. is before we, we agree to anything. We've made $65 million. You tell me six years from now what an all-star 27-year-old would make on a 10-year contract knowing what you know. Just pick a number. Five hundred. Okay, Shohei's going to get that next year. Okay, all right, so I'm, I'm low. So let's say 550. Okay. You take the 65 million, you add it to the 550 that he makes over the next 10 years. How many years would that be? 16, six years and then 10, right? right? right, right yeah. He would be, in the best case scenario, a 16-year player, 550 plus 65, $615 million over 16 years. In the best case scenario of this contract, he's an 18 year 470. 18 470 versus 16, 625, whatever it is. Yeah. Okay. 
So you start there. Now you say, okay, well, you have to give up. If you, if you want to parlay what you're worth into guaranteed money and upfront money, then you got to take less than $625 million, of course. Yeah. But how much less? What I said to you three, three episodes ago, four episodes ago, five episodes ago, some people laughed at me, Slickhawk included, not laughed at me, but thought that I was low. I thought you were low too. I remember saying that to you. I said to you that the Seattle Mariners and Julio should do a nine-year, $180 million judgment. Remember me saying that? Exactly. Okay, yep. nine-year, $180 million. And just the number 180 just felt low to me. At $20 million a year. Yep. He just signed an eight-year, $120 million, eight-year, $120 I was suggesting nine years, 180. Yeah. And I would contend, A, the Mariners would have signed him to that deal. And B, just factually speaking, my nine-year, $180 million contract for him would have, be, would have been far superior than to what he just signed. Even though the, the one that he signed, everybody's talking about $470 million. Yeah. My nine-year, $180 million deal would have been a better Julio deal than this. And I'm going to tell you why. The only place where it's inferior is your guarantee. He's guaranteed what two ten over thirteen years. If he, you know, I, I went through it yeah, with yeah. you. Okay, he would only be guaranteed one hundred eighty over nine years. Okay, so he'd be giving up thirty million in guaranteed money, but four four more years on on right. their two ten. Every other place, my my deal's better because he's now a free agent. He's thirty. He's thirty years yeah. old. If he's great. He's going to make more than any of these clauses, any of these options that we just talked about. Yeah. He's going to make, and if he's not, he's not. The point of the, and if he's not going to make, if he's not great, they're not, they're going to walk away from him in this deal. In my deal, they're going to walk away from him if he's not great. Yeah. So it's a wash there. Yeah. So my deal, nine years, 180 million, makes him a free agent at 30. And if he's a good player, he makes 30 million a year. If he's a very good player, he makes 35 million a year. And if he's the great player where he's going to make 470 over, t over 10 years or 350 over 10 years, he's going to make 60 or 65 or 70 million dollars. <laughs> That's true. A year. Yeah. Okay. A lot of, a, a lot, I'm throwing a lot at you. It may be worth nothing. In the grand scheme of things, is it important? Probably not. I'm just telling you, there's no way that savvy baseball people, agents, are are not looking at this contract and calling it very, very, very team-friendly. Now, you mentioned this on Twitter and people get upset with me. Uh, what are you saying? And a lot of people will say, oh, this is Julio because he's a nice guy. He doesn't want to really screw him. That's, he's trying. That he's, never factors in, he, though, he, does he's it? He's just too nice of a guy. No. He, he, wants to so Russell Wilson. he wants to guarantee that there'll, there'll be people, that they'll be able to get people around him, you know, be able to sign people and keep a good team around him. What does Scott want, Boris think about that? If you want to believe all that, that's fine. <laughs> that's not if how you want to believe all that, yeah. that's fine. Maybe it's true. Maybe it's Maybe. true. Maybe. Yeah. I'm just telling you. For as big as the numbers and people are saying it could be someday the largest contract in the history of team sports. I get all that. I'm telling you, at just about every stage of this contract, the Mariners win. Well, that's why I go back to the is, Mariners win. Is it too good of a deal for the Mariners? Is he going to want to renegotiate at some point? I mean, if it's too good, you maybe he's to say he wants out. Don't know. That scares me a bit. Don't know. But but he's, you know, there's not much he can do at that point. I mean, you can always, re you can always hold, renegotiate, right? I mean, yeah. guys do it all the time. Well, not in baseball. Not as much in baseball. Okay. You don't see it in baseball very often. Huh. You sign these these big mammoth guaranteed contracts and you live by them. So 
How does this hurt the Mariners Doesn't hypothetically hurt the ever? Like, let's say he's, he say he's a 175 no, guy the next eight years. It's a no-brainer. But then he forces you to take on that. Oh, it's nothing. It's nothing. Okay. Because listen, listen, the worst that can happen to the Mariners is he he's a bust or he gets hurt. Yeah. And they're on the hook for $210 million over over 13 years. Yeah. What's 210 divided by 13? It's not 20. Sure isn't. It's less, yeah. Okay. From from TV money and all their money, I mean, that's it's a, it's a drop in the bucket. Okay. They can take that on. It's not going to hurt them at all. Even if he's a bust, it's not going to hurt them all. This this contract is so good for the Mariners. It's so good for the Mariners. It's almost too good to be true. Yeah, that's kind of worries me a little bit now nah, that you break it down. I wouldn't down. get worried. I'm just okay. trying to make a point. All right. I'm not telling you to get worried or what have you. Yeah. I'm just telling you. They have the upper hand in this contract every step of the way. Now, maybe they would say, look, we're putting a lot of money into a 21-year-old who's played 80% of a season. That's exactly what they would say. Right. So we're gambling on a guy who's played 80% of a season who's 21. And, and what I would say to them is... Who was on a slump early in the year, by the way. What I would say to them is that's exactly right. So we're going to give you a discount from the $625 million that we think we could make if we played it year to year yeah. to something lower than that. I just don't know if I were his agent that I would have been willing to do the deal. That, in fact, I can tell you if I was his agent, I would have recommended that he not do this deal. Yeah, I would have said, you know what? Rather than give me the 470 and all those big numbers, we really appreciate it, Mariners. Thank you so much, John. We'll just take a nine-year, $180 million contract and make it clean. It's nine years, $180 million. No That's what you're paying. No nothing. nothing. Yeah. Nine years, $180 million. We're guaranteed every dollar. You're guaranteed the service of my, my client for the next nine years. And then we'll just see, as we get close to the ninth year, yeah. where we are and we'll reevaluate. That's what I would have done. Yeah. That being said, I'd like to renegotiate my contract after the show. If you have time. Unfiltered? I don't know if you have my unfiltered contract. You'd have to have a contract. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I've got a million and six other stuff things. Oh, boy. Three interviews. Hope you enjoy them on episode 204, and then we'll do the other stuff segment. We are way overdue for a visit from my main man, Jordan Flowers, J. Flow, Kirkland Office, Cross Country Mortgage, member, member, most improved, and Barrett's dad, how's he doing? Oh, Barrett is doing great. Thanks, Mitch. No, Thanks no, for no, asking. No, 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 no. I was asking how Barrett's dad is doing. I know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know what? Barrett's dad's doing well. I appreciate being back. I miss you, man. It's been too long. I actually owe you a thank you. Oh, You've yeah? made me feel like a professional golfer for the last month, hearing how much you're talking about my golf game and how bad it was. So thanks. Now I know how they feel. I'm glad to know that you feel like a professional golfer when I talk about how bad, <laughs> how bad your golf game is. Well, I, hey, media's talking about me. Uh, hey. Lots of volatility in markets recently. All of us have seen our savings dip. Give us kind of a home buying market interest rate overview, Jordan. Yeah, it has not been fun watching the savings accounts and investment accounts, but there's good news on the mortgage side. Rates have actually kind of stabilized, plateaued, and have been working their way back down, in fact. So we've been seeing um, interest rates, 30-year fixed rates, dropping the last two months, really. This is the second straight month. Mortgage-backed securities and interest rates have been dropping. So good news for homebuyers right now. Any new cross-country products or programs worth discussing here? 
I'm Mitch Unfiltered. J-Flow? Yeah, we're always looking of adding products and programs to our arsenal to help those home buyers and people looking to refinance. Right now, um, there's been two over the last month and a half or so. I was part of helping roll out a new jumbo investor product that kind of really helps clients with more unique income. Maybe it's income derived from trusts. And then we also just rolled out a Goldman Sachs program that is on a 40-year amortization versus 30-year, which helps with your payment, your monthly principal and interest payment. So even though rates are high, we're trying to figure out creative solutions to help homebuyers keep that payment in line with what they were looking at and hoping for, especially as home prices have gone up so much the last two years. So you would say still a chance for buyers and sellers to get what they want in this current climate. Yeah, absolutely. It is definitely different than the last couple of years where it was just throw your home up and get multiple bids, right? It's getting a little more creative um, for those sellers, but we're helping sellers sell their home and still net the same proceeds that they're hoping to net. And that's kind of where I think a shift needs to be right now. It's uh, negotiations always trying to be a win-win. What we can do to still have the seller really net the same amount of proceeds from the sale, really what they care about, and help buyers get the home at a price or monthly payment that they desire. So that's a lot of our strategy right now is helping both sides win and get what they want. We love Jordan Flowers. We love Cross Country Mortgage. Very creative during these times, and he's the 2023 member member betting favorite next year, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Comeback player of the year, baby. Let's go. <laughs> Jordan Flowers and Cross Country Mortgage. Unfiltered. The ABS is a, is a thing. run time in Major League Baseball. The Mariners have 34 games left as of this recording. That's it. 34 games. Last weekend started with a monumental contract agreement between the Mariners and Julio. Continued with three out of four wins against a good Cleveland team. Former Mets GM. One of the great baseball voices. MLB Network TV. Radio, TSN, Stadium Sports. He does it all. If I if I spend the whole time listing what he does, we'll never be able to talk about anything else, Steve Phillips. How are you, Steve? <laughs> I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Yes, it's, uh, you know what? If somebody asks me to do something, I'm in. Uh, and uh, but, but, but I will tell you, I'm always grateful to be on with you and always enjoy our conversation. Thank you. Thank you. Let's start with the contract because that came first. It could be eight years, $120 million. It could be 18 years, $470 million. And there's a lot of possibilities in between. It's an interesting deal. What was Steve Phillips' original thought when you saw it? And then as you explored it a little closer, what did you think? So, yeah, so I, you know, my initial thought is I, I love seeing young kids get their big payday initially. Uh, and, and I thought that after seeing some of these other contracts that have been signed, and we saw Ronald Acuna Jr. and Ozzy Alves get really team favorable deals in Atlanta, and I think there was enough of an uproar about that that we saw that that you know agents and players were going to really you know be careful about what they did getting security, especially for these young superstars. Uh, and you know I, I do some stuff in in Toronto, and so you know I follow Vlad Guerrero Jr. and Boba Chet, and you know the idea there they want to get them locked up, but what's the right price? Then you you know you have to deal with what agent are you negotiating with. But ultimately, in the end, it was a deal that made some sense to me in that, um, you know, the young man gets extraordinary 
lifetime generational security for himself and his family. Uh, and if he becomes the superstar that we think he is, uh, you know, again, 108 games, I think when you made the deal, uh, then, you know, then he's got the, this, you know, extraordinary payday on the upper end. Uh, sure. There, you know, ultimately could he make more if he went year by year and then goes to free agency and then gets the mega deal then it, and, you know, he blossoms over the next six years and becomes an even more of a star than he is now. He could probably make more, but I, I think it's, it sure felt like a deal that the team recognized that if they're going to get the upside, they're going to pay for it. Uh, and, you know, they, they, the commitment for the young man to grow up as part of the organization, the organization to keep him for the long term is there. So I thought that it, it made sense to me, uh, you know, for the player and for the team to lock it up long term. And there's more of an acknowledgement in this contract for the significant upside than I think any of the other young player contracts that we've seen. And so in that regard, I think that the agent probably did the best he could. What I said to you the last time you were on, Steve, is I suggested that the Mariners sign him to a nine-year, $180 million deal, which would give him $180 million guaranteed and make him a free agent at 30 and then go from there. After watching this and looking closely at this, and I agree with everything that you said, it's hard to be critical of a deal that's going to take care of Julio and 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 generations of, of Rodriguez's with a couple of hundred million dollars. But I, I feel like at nine years, 180 million, and then he's a free agent at 30, he's in a position to do a lot better than he would do. This contract, I mean, think about where we're going to be in Major League Baseball. I'm sure you're going to tell me that Shohei Otani is going to ask for $50 million a year. I'm sure you're going to tell me that uh, Soto is going to ask for $50 million a year. By the time Julio gets to 30, this contract, if he's a really good player, has him making 25, 30, at most $35 million a year. If he's a two-time MVP, let's talk about the, the $470 million, which is the window dressing of the deal, Steve. This is what everybody's talking about. This could be $470 million. Well, let's talk about that for a second. If it's $470 million, he would be a two-time MVP. He would be one of the faces of the league, one of the stars of the league, a two-time MVP. He'd be getting 10 years, $350 million. He'd be getting $35 million nine years from now at 30 years old when other guys will be making 60. It, it doesn't. I, I said to you before we started, I don't think Scott Boris would have ever signed this deal. Oh, no, he never would have. No, no question. Uh, it's not Scott's, you know, MO. Uh, you don't hire Scott Boris to get you, you know, early security for, for your contract. You, you hire him to squeeze every last, you know, bit of blood out of the stone uh, and to get as much as possible out of all of, of what might be out there to be able to do it. You don't get them to, to in free agency to take you to the place that's most comfortable for you or where you're going to thrive or even necessarily where you're going to win. You hire Scott to get to the most money. Uh, and he does not like to sign, you know, pre-free agent contracts. He doesn't like to buy out free agent years early unless it's an extraordinary deal. And so like with Juan Soto, where the Washington Nationals did offer, you know, 440 million, uh, you know, went up from 350 to 440. Uh, he thought they were 100 million short, uh, and uh, and so yeah, he, there's no way he would have made this deal. Uh, but I, but I'll tell you, I, you know, it would be hard for me to be an agent and have somebody come to me with a contract for a player that says, look, we'll give him the security on the downside. We're going to pay him for the upside. 
uh, in a significant way. And, and sure, we know that you could probably wait it out and maybe you'll make more money. But uh, as an agent, could I tell a player, you know, don't take $470 million. Don't take that. Say no. I couldn't do it. I mean, I, and maybe that's because you know, I wouldn't be good at being an agent. But, you know, when, when this is this kind of money, and, you know, remember, at this point, it's monopoly money. I mean, really, it, it's, okay. you know, it, it is, this is, these, this is, you know, again, it's going to be extraordinary money for this young man. But you're right. He may be leaving money on the table. Uh, and that's, the, you know, he has to calculate the risk of what happens if I blow out my knee? What happens if I mm-hmm. blow out my shoulder? What happens if I only become a DH because I get an injury? What happens if, you know, if, if I don't continue to develop the way that I have now, I think he's going to be a superstar rock star. Uh, and, and yet I, I, you know, I don't think anybody could say, oh, gee, boy, you did a horrible thing for future players. I think he did what was right for him. And I think other players, young guys, you know, who have, there've been a lot worse deals signed by the players than this one for sure. Mm -hmm. Okay. Let's move on to the Mariners as a baseball team. As I said at the top, Steve, 34 games to go as you and I talk tonight. They're wild card number two. They're real close to wild card number one. And slowly but surely, there's a little gap that's uh, forming between the wild card teams and the rest of the American League chasers. I would imagine that they're a lot better than even money. I know you're not a gambler, but a lot better than even money in Steve Phillips' mind to, to secure one of those wild card positions and get back to the playoffs for the first time in about 20 years. Oh, for sure. Yeah, I think that... You know, the way this is, is playing out right now, I mean, I, it would be shocking uh, if they don't make the playoffs. It will. I think they're playing that kind of baseball. They've been really consistent. You know, their good players are playing well. They're getting other guys contributing. You know, they're, they're winning all kinds of games. You know, the, the teams that win 90-plus games, you know, they win the low-scoring game. They win the, the 2-1 pitcher's duel. They win the, the 10-8 slugfest. Uh, they win the game where they're down 4 nothing early, and they come back and win 6-5 late in the game. And so – They've got all of that going on. Uh, they, they're they a solid defensive team. Uh, they're a, By the way, they're so fun to watch. I mean, they're such a team to watch. Uh, and, and they're getting good pitching. Their bullpen is so underrated in baseball. I don't think people recognize. And I give Jerry DePoe a lot of credit. He's always been really good at building bullpens. Uh, and he has a good one, man. It's uh, some really good arms there. They've got different looks out in that bullpen. Uh, and so, yeah, I think I think it's – you know, I'll be shocked if okay. they don't make the playoffs okay. this year. Okay. So let's go back to what you've always told me about the playoffs, Steve, going back to our time on the radio together. You've always told me that, you know, series are about starting pitching first and foremost. And now they've got Castillo throwing the hell out of the ball, Robbie Ray throwing the hell out of the ball. They, they come at you with as good a one-two punch as just about, maybe not everybody, but just about anybody that will make the postseason. And then in a best-of-three series, that opening series – They'll have, you know, take your choice, Gilbert, Kirby, Gonzalez as a game three starter. Do they have the starting pitching, the design that could actually make some pretty good noise once they got into the postseason, or are they still years away from that? Oh, no, I think they do. I I do. I think the Castillo trade really gives that to them. And, you know, because uh, of the playoffs and, and the fact, you know, again, the first round, there's no off days, but with off days being built into the later rounds, you know, you can really use your bullpen aggressively. Mm-hmm. And we've seen managers really do that. And this is such a good bullpen that even on a, on a day where their ace, you know, if a Castillo, you know, in the fifth inning is in a little bit of trouble and it just doesn't feel right. I mean, I mean, Scott Service go to the bullpen then and, and, you know, use some real weapons there. 
and then have an off day the next day and let them recover and have those guys back again. And so we've seen the way that, that, you know, once you get beyond this wild card round, how aggressively managed can use the bullpen. And so a hundred percent, I think that they've got the pitch. Look, other teams do too. The other thing that, that wins in the playoffs is home runs, right? Cause you're not going to get a lot of, you know, you're going to have an inning. where you are going to lump four singles together to put a crooked number up on the scoreboard. You know, you need some guys that can hit the ball in the ballpark and they have that too. Uh, and so, um, you know, they're, they're going to, they're going to be a scary team to match up with in the playoffs. They are, mm-hmm. I think the American league playoffs has a chance to be so fun and so dynamic with some real powerhouse teams. The terrific Steve Phillips is with us, former Mets general manager. I don't think you and I have visited Steve since they went out and they qu- acquired Castillo that you just mentioned. He's got uh, this year. He's got next year. Everybody thinks he's going to be a great fit in Seattle in that ballpark. He might even be a Cy Young contender, a Cy Young winner next year, and then he'll become a free agent. Now that they've gotten Julio done, they've gotten Ray done, should they be trying to extend Castillo now, or is that Mitchie the pipe dreamer, uh, and he's just destined for free agency and destined for $40 million a year in a couple of years? Well, I tell you, I think, I think he, if I were his agent, I'd be very open to a contract extension now. Uh, remember, he had a little elbow thing last year. He had a little shoulder thing in spring training. Uh, and if that doesn't show him the mortality of being a pitcher and the vulnerability of injuries and what they can do to your career, I don't know what does. And so if I have a team that's willing to treat me like an ace pitcher and pay me $30-plus million a year uh, or you know, high 20s, $30 million a year, uh, I, I'm in on it. I, I have to be in on it if I'm the agent because of the fact that he's had some health issues in the past. And so I, I think that, that there, there's a window there, I think, probably at the end of the season, that they'll be able to engage with him. Uh, and my sense is he'll probably take a payday if they're willing to go down that road. Now, they'll know the medicals. You know, this comes down to not only him, you know, what we see in a game, but how does he recover between starts? What's the training staff say about his strength between starts? Does he, is he able to throw a full bullpen session between starts? You know, they'll get some additional information there. But if that checks out, uh, then I think there's an opportunity for them to go ahead and make a deal uh, and, you know, hope that he has all the health issues behind him. And from his perspective, I think he'd jump at it knowing that, that if it ever came back, he could lose a big payday. Talking about health issues, Steve, what do the Mariners do? What does Jerry do with Hanniger at the end of the year? He's a free agent. He's been hurt a lot, but it's unbelievable how different they look when he's in the lineup. He's kind of the spiritual yeah, I don't even know the adjectives to use. I don't know the words to use. Hanniger is something really central to their offense, and yet he'll be a free agent, and he'll probably command a decent paycheck at the end of the year. Yeah, I, I would sign him. I, I would do all I can to try to sign him. Uh, and, you know, because of his health history, too, I think it's going to, in some ways, uh, you know, diminish the, the upper end of what he might get as a payday. I mean, if you look at him exclusively as a player, you might say he's worth this much, but then the health factor does come into play with it. Uh, and so I, I'm with you, though. I think he is the heart and soul of that team. Uh, and they are different when he's in the lineup. Uh, he is the, you know, the spiritual leader. I think is a really good way to describe him. Uh, and so I, I would really hope that they try to go down that road. Uh, and I think that they'll like him more than other teams will because they'll pay for the spiritual leader part of it where the other teams don't know it, haven't had it, haven't experienced it. And I think it has dollar value and it has dollar value to the Mariners that he may not have when it comes to the Yankees or the Red Sox or, or a team like that. And so uh, I'll be surprised if he doesn't stay there. I really will be. And I know they've got some outfielders. They've got depth out there. 
Uh, but I don't know that they have a guy like him and with the DH role there that, you know, if, if injuries continue to be a thing and all you can do is swing the bat, you can work him in there. Uh, so I'm hundred percent on board. I would lock him up as, as, uh, as quickly as they can uh, once this offseason ends and they get through the playoffs and, and figure out from there what to do. Fantastic stuff. We'll, we'll listen to you on Sirius XM. We'll watch you at times on the MLB network. And so just so I have this straight, when Mitch Levy calls Steve Phillips at the end of the season this year, at the end of the, the, the fight, when the final gun sounded, you'll be stunned if we're not talking about and previewing the Mariners in the in the wild card of the American League, right? Yeah, absolutely. Rays or Blue Jays, what that series going to look like? Uh, but I have them there, and we will be stunned if they're not. Is it important that they get the number one wild card so they can host those three games, or not so important in Major League Baseball? Well, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, look, I, I, I think it's important, uh, but it's not a death blow if not. I mean, they've won on the road; they've won plenty of series and games on the road. Uh, they have the kind of pitching that can go in there. You know, they're not as experienced. So going into some, you know, some, what could be really uh, strong environments and, and, you know, where it's going to be tough going into some of those ballparks, you know, they don't have a lot of experience. So they're going to be a little more uptight maybe than other teams, but you know what? They're, they're also, you know, Julio Rodriguez is so good and so young. He doesn't know any better. Nothing's going to overwhelm him. And, uh, you know, Robbie Ray's been through it a little bit before. So I feel good about their chances, even if they are on the road in that wild card series. And what could Tampa be like? Let's assume it's the Rays. How bad is that as a, as a, a road team going in there in a best of three in Tampa? Well, you know, that ballpark is, you know, they, they're really comfortable there. Okay. And it's not, it's, it's an uncomfortable ballpark. The other thing is it's a long flight. You know, that is, you know, the Seattle is, you know, Eduardo Prez, my co-host on my show on MLB Network Radio, he talked all the time. When he went to play for the Mariners, he did not realize how difficult the travel is on the Mariners compared to any other team he's, he was on. And that is a long trip uh, to Tampa at the end of a long season. Uh, and so, you know, there are factors there that are going to make it more difficult. But you know what? It's playoff baseball. I mean, that's, those are... Those are rich people problems if you get to the playoffs. <laughs> and you'll, you'll deal with it when you get there. Uh, terrific, Steve. Thank you so much. We'll, uh, we'll be in touch at the end of the regular season. Thank you so very much for being back on Unfiltered. All right, you got it. Thanks, Mitch. Hey, look who's back with us. I'll be damned if it's not traveling Dan Black, president of Zeke's Pizza. Hard to get him pinned down on Mitch Unfiltered. Where you been this summer, Dan? All right, traveling Dan Black must be like my seventh <laughs> nickname from you. So we'll go with it. Summer, the weather finally got good, so I've been trying to get outside as much as possible. My family goes to uh, Roach Harbor and then a place called Priest Lake in North Idaho, so those are kind of our summer spots, and so it's been you know fun doing that all summer. How do you live without Zeke's Pizza at those places, or don't you? I just take it on the road with me. We do, uh, <laughs> we do it baked but not sliced, which is our version of uh, take and bake, so we actually do take a couple on the road with us and just throw them in the oven. They actually travel really well. Very nice. Lots of good things happening over at Zeke's while you've been traveling. Seward Park opening. Terrace Station and Mount Lake Terrace opening. These are two cool new spots, Dan. Yeah, we're really excited about them both. They're both going to be the full Zeke's experience. They're full-blown pizza pubs with nice beer bar, spirits, outdoor patios, really beautiful build-outs on both of them, owners that are really active. And so they're going to be great community hubs, and it's going to be a great place to just have the full Zeke's experience. So it's going to be great. We've had some hot days here in the Northwest this summer. What are we eating? What are we drinking, the Levies and the Blacks at Zeke's this summer, Dan? I don't know what the Levies are eating. You'll have to tell me, but 
What we've been doing, I think I mentioned we have a, a great collab beer going with Fremont Brewing called Z-Side Frozen IPA. It's a fresh hop tasting beer, but you can get it in summer, which is unusual. And so we've been drinking that. I've been throwing crawlers of that in my cooler. That beer goes really great with spicy pizzas. So we've been doing Taiwan on, Dragon, Cherry Bomb, stuff like that. What have you been eating? We're a big chopped salad. We're big Zeke's Pizza chopped salad fans here in the family. Minus the garbanzo beans. No, hold the garbanzo beans. Yeah, what do you got against garbanzo beans? Uh, a lot. Okay, no, yeah, no, we 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 keep track of people like you. We'll just know we uh, chop without garbanzo beans. That's the Mitch Levy now. Yeah, so. the Mitch Levy. Zeke's Pizza, great supporters of Mitch Unfiltered. Lots of incredible things happening over there. Zeke's Pizza, homegrown in the Northwest. Unfiltered. Down Seahawks. Gino's going to start. You know, he's going to start the, the opener, and, and uh, he's, he's, he's earned it. Uh, he's won the job uh, with the time and the time frames that got messed up for us for Drew. Drew did, just didn't, he just ran out of time in making his bid for it. Well, preseason football games are in the books. Thank God. Thank freaking God. A couple weeks away from the Seahawks Broncos Monday night football opener and the return of Russell Wilson. Final roster decisions this week. Taco Time Northwest, ladies and gentlemen, presents Brady Henderson, ESPN Seahawks insider, Joey Fan, win bet in Las Vegas. The Seahawks no table. It's almost season prediction time, and I should tell you that Taco Time Northwest, we celebrate those that love doing work and is always looking for good, capable people to join the Taco Time Northwest team. So, boys, let's do some work. Brady, we'll allow you to do some work first, thanks to Taco Time. Let's begin with the interesting roster decisions that we should all look for in the coming days. I guess Miles Adams and LJ Collier. Is that the most interesting one on, on your shelf? That's one of several interesting ones, yeah. And, you know, it, it would be a tough pill for them to swallow to cut a former two uh, first-round pick in LJ Collier, but... I it's starting to look that that is entirely possible, if not likely uh, miles Adams. I, I do kind of get the sense that it, it could be, you know, the final spot in the interior defensive line rotation could come down to either, or uh, one of those guys. And, you know, miles Adams has had a tremendous summer really played well in the final preseason game. And LJ Collier did not play after, you know, he's missed some time with an elbow injury. So miles Adams has been better than them. And this is a regime that has, shown a willingness to cut its losses before, and I I, I think that they're going to do it again. Before you go to the next one, Joe, jump in. If they cut LJ Collier again, we, we will continue to discuss their their failures in the draft and the upper upper rounds of the draft in the last many years. That one is already a loss. Whether they cut him or not, the, the tarnish on that draft pick is already there. Uh, it so, yeah, you would just be washing your hands and, and peeling off that Band-Aid uh, immediately as opposed to one more year down the road. But um, it, it feels like the book is written on the LJ Collier pick. And I think another one, can't remember if it was exactly that draft or the draft before, might have been that draft. The, the Marquise Blair pick is, is one draft. that isn't aging well either in second rounder. Um, you know, a guy who has really been snake bitten by injuries, but – uh, from what I watched during the preseason, he didn't look super sharp and he could be on his way to to, to basically spending the season on the bench. And so, yeah, not a great draft for them uh, in that class. 
Miles Adams, talk about people that had done some work, Brady. Can we assume that this preseason success will translate to the regular year, or is he one of these preseason darlings that we'll forget about a couple of weeks from now? Well, I think this the problem he's got is that he's got a lot of guys in front of him, and they are going to rotate. And yeah. you know, you're going to see Brian Monet and, and Al Woods and uh, Puna Ford and Shelby Harris. I, I just don't know how many snaps there are going to be unless there's an injury situation. So um, let's not get ahead of ourselves. He looks like a player who's, who's very deserving of a roster spot. Uh, and it, I think he's going to make the team, but let's let's wait and see if he can make an impact. What other decisions should we watch for? Now, some people will listen to this podcast after these decisions are made, so I apologize for that. But what are the other intriguing decisions that, as we record, face Pete Carroll and John Schneider, Brady? Well, the big one is obviously out of the way in, in picking Geno Smith over Drew Locke, but there are still some some interesting ones. I think, you know, as always, the wide receiver battle is always an intriguing one, and you know, going into, I guess, this offseason, you would have assumed that Freddie Swain is going to be back uh, in that maybe number three, maybe number four role. He was fine, I think, in number three role last year, but he has not had a good summer at all and um, had, you know, some passes that he probably would have liked to catch and he didn't. A uh, big third down one in the second preseason game, another one in the final preseason game. And, um, Look, you know, it's it's there's not a whole lot of guys who have really stepped up and, and really grabbed hold of that third spot. But I mean, when Marquise Goodwin was healthy, he looked like their third best receiver. And so I, I think that Marquise Goodwin is going to make it. Um, obviously, DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett are there. D. Eskridge is going to make it. He's a second round pick. There, there's no way they give up on him this early. So that's four right there. And then I think Freddie Swain is very much fighting, uh, you know, to, to try to make that as the fifth guy. And then it's just a matter of how many do they keep? Do they, which of the draft picks do they keep? If any, I think Derek young is ahead of Bo Melton. And if one of those two guys makes it, I think it's going to be Derek young, but do you go with somebody like Penny Hart? Um, so we don't know how many they're going to keep. It's going to be at least four, maybe five or six. And I'm, I'm not convinced that Freddie Swain is going to be one of them. Joe, it seems like a pillow fight for that third spot. It, it also feels like that the Seattle Seahawks, are wide receivers short, at least one, maybe two wide receivers short. And again, that's because the D. Eskridge pick hasn't uh, hasn't hit like they thought it would. Yeah, it's frustrating when you see so many different rookie wideouts in that same ballpark uh, year over year uh, in terms of draft capital be successful immediately. Uh, D. Eskridge seems like a complete swing and a miss, and health has been a huge thing for him. The concussion, you can't really blame on him, but outside of that, I mean, but he came into, you know, his first rookie training camp injured and it wasn't really part of the offseason program after being drafted. And, you know, that that pick aged poorly from the jump. And there were a lot of people who were really nervous about it because he's an older uh, wide receiver, came out of, I think, 24. He was already or on his way to 24 and hadn't competed against power five conference competition. And so there were huge question marks and red flags the second that pick was made and uh, it's only continued to age poorly for the Seahawks and they are really desperate for that number three guy I think they hope Noah Fant can be that dude um, but they'd struggled to make Gerald Everett a, a consistent contributor you know we know how bad the Greg Olson signing was it feels like this is a conversation that we're having every year is who is going to take some of that pressure off Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf and and it's pretty wild we still don't know who it is uh, at this point. Yeah. And along the lines of, of the tight end conversation, I, I do think, and I've gotten the sense, I've heard this from a number of people in the organization 
And the numbers do kind of bear this out as well, that I think part of the issue they've had with the production from tight ends not being what you you think it's going to be based on the names that they have there. I think that part of that is a function of, of Russell Wilson not throwing the ball as often to those guys and, and really not throwing the ball to the short middle part of the field where a tight end typically uh, does work, I guess you could say. So the thought has been that I, and I've heard this from a number of people there that they feel like whichever quarterback it ends up starting for them. And now we know that it's going to be Geno Smith, at least to, to begin the season, but whichever it is, whichever guy it is, he's going to get the tight ends more involved. So that that's just something to keep in mind. Joe, uh, Drew Locke made it easy for Pete Carroll to make the decision right after the game with a couple of interceptions, maybe more than a couple of interceptions at the end of the day. Did he get a fair shake? Did he get a fair shot? Have the Seahawks mismanaged this quarterback competition? If you want to call it a competition, for many of us, it didn't feel like much of a competition. I don't think it was. It was just coach speak. And you get that a lot with training camp, you know, around the country. I I think it was what Sunday afternoon when Robert Sala announced that uh, Sauce Gardner, top five pick, uh, is going to start in week one. So big news. It's like, yeah, all right. You know, it's so that you have to, every team has that to a degree. It's just more pronounced when it's at the quarterback position. I get why Pete Carroll wants or preferred to go with Geno Smith. He's a much safer uh, player. He's been in the system for uh, for a long time, respected in the, in the locker room. And you know what you're going to get in terms of protecting the football. And the full Drew Locke experience that you saw on, what was it, Thursday night, is immense. It's a lot. And uh, Friday night, I guess it was. Um, and so, yeah, I, I don't think it was mismanaged. I just think it was misclassified if that's a better way to put it you know i think gino gino smith's deserving of the job no problem um i just we wasted a lot of time talking about a qb competition that wasn't so the sixty-four thousand dollar question now brady is how long's the leash what will it take for Pete carroll to now go back on that decision and at some point during the season, start Drew Locke ahead of Geno Smith. You know, I don't think it is like a one or two game thing, but I don't think it's a long leash either. And I say that because, look, Geno Smith did not win the competition because he played stellar and mistake-free football this summer. I think he won it more so because he began with the lead, thanks to his greater understanding of the offense, and he just never really gave it up. Um, and part of that was because... Locke didn't do enough, but also Locke had a pretty big setback missing a week there. And so to me, you know, going back to the question you asked Joe, does it, did it feel like a fair competition on the surface? It did not feel like it because Gino got almost all of the first team reps. And really the, the one time that they were set to give Locke those number one reps that week, it was a, a short week and he came down with COVID. And so missed the rest of the week, missed that game. And then they went right back to Gino the next week. And so um, now on the surface, I say, that's why I say it doesn't, it doesn't appear that he got a fair shot on the surface, but I do think that there was so much stuff going on behind the scenes and, and Pete Carroll had a much better grasp of which of those guys had a better handle on the offense. And I think that's why Smith was, was taking all those number one reps from the beginning. So there is a little bit of perception, maybe not matching up with reality there, but at any rate, Geno Smith did not win this job because he blew Drew Locke out of the water. He won it because I think partly because Locke ran out of time. So I think that the quarterback competition is, you could say it's unofficially continuing into the regular season. I don't think that they're going to give Geno the hook 
right away if he struggles, but I would not be surprised to see Locke start a game uh, before the end of the, you know, in the first half of the season. Taco Time Northwest presents the Seahawks No Table. We'll do it all year long, couple of shows a week. We'll uh, obviously rehash Seahawks games. We'll preview Seahawks games. We'll talk about all the different stuff that comes up, and we're going to actually put these guys next on the line. I'm going to ask them a lot of predictions, a lot of projections, and then we're going to hold the tape. We're going to hold the recording and bring it back to haunt them for the rest of their <laughs> living days. But before we get there, wrap up the starting line, uh, the starting decisions, not roster decisions. Starting, I assume that we still don't really know who the starting cornerbacks are. Um, are there any other positions that we need to to be in suspense for as the Broncos game comes around? Right tackle is the other one. And, and I think I said this last time. I, I've gotten the impression that Abe Lucas is ahead there. Okay. And uh and but that is one I, I you know, and, and Jake Curran sounds like he got hurt a little bit uh Friday night against Dallas. So I, I think that I think that's going to be Abe Lucas. I'll, I'll spare you the stat because you've all heard it before, but mm-hmm. with the cornerback battle, you know, I think unlike the quarterback battle, I, I think Pete Carroll called it when he did, because look, you've got to send a message to the rest of the team that Gino is your guy. That That's not a decision that you can keep dragging out, you know, and still have undecided a week before the game. I think you can do that though at cornerback and you can take these next couple of weeks uh, to get more, evaluation, get more information, see how Artie Burns and Sidney Jones look uh, when they're fully back from injuries, see how um, Kobe Bryant continues to look at nickel as he battles Justin Coleman for that job. So that's the other one, but I think that one could go that they could take their time with. And Joey, the, the, the MO of John Schneider over the years, maybe not in more recent years, but it seems like Schneider is very willing to go out and get new guys right at the last minute and then put them in the lineup in the first game of the season. We've seen that over the years where they make their final cuts and then all of a sudden we see guys that didn't even play for them in the preseason playing in the opener. Uh, I wouldn't put it past Schneider to go get linebackers, to go get corners, to go get some new guys that we haven't seen yet. Oh, you, you said it. It's going to be, to me, linebacker is the most obvious spot. Somebody is going to get cut. A veteran is going to get cut and they're going to bring him in. And he might be playing significantly in week one on Monday night football against the Broncos. That wouldn't shock me at all. They're incredibly thin there. I don't think anybody uh, in that organization is sold on Cody Barton as a down to down player. So outside of Jordan Brooks, uh, there really isn't anything left in the cupboard. And so that to me feels like just a, a, a obvious spot that they will look to add uh, over the course of the next week. I don't think you're going to see them make the cut day Labor Day weekend trades because you go into this season. We just had, we just spent five minutes talking about how short the leash is for Geno Smith and potentially is Drew Locke going to get starts for this team. And you know, you can't go in looking to give anything away to get a piece that will help you this year. Um, You know, I, I do commend them to a degree for, um, committing to, you know, at least a one year, like we're not obviously all in, I think everyone's sort of eyes wide open about, you know, they're going to, they're going to go and try to win as many games as they can. But I think everyone's pretty, um, again, eyes wide open about what the expectations are. So I, I think that should make everyone's expectations for cut day moves, uh, accordingly. Okay. We're going to do who was doing work, even though the Seahawks haven't played because we're expanding who was doing work to include anybody in the world 
anybody in the world, whether they be athletes, Seahawks, non-athletes, we're going to do that at the end of the day's show because, because Taco Time Northwest is a terrific sponsor. But before we get there, I'm going to ask you guys to put your necks on the line, and we'll just start with the overall Seahawks season. Give me a record, and I'll, I'll throw my two cents in if people want that. I'll just say, hey, they've got Carolina at home. They've got the Giants at home. They've got the Jets at home. They've got the Falcons at home. I just mentioned pretty much half of their home schedule. Carolina, Giants, Jets, Falcons. To me, they're going to win maybe three, perhaps even four of those games. So I'm going to make them, I'm, I'm kind of in between seven and 10 and eight and nine. I think I'm going to go 7-10 and 10 for the 2022 Seattle Seahawks. Joe Fan, win bet. What will be the final record of the Seahawks this season? I hope. I mean, that's, what, two games clear of their win total. It's at 5.5. And, a half. and so it's, okay. that's a ticket you should go put in if you all think right. it's going to get seven. all the way to 7. Yeah. I think I think 6. I think they go 2-4 and four in the division, and they win four games between uh, the Broncos, Falcons, Lions, Giants, Jets, Panthers, Jets, Jets. Okay, six. They win four of those games, so six and eleven. So you have them going over the total too, but just barely over the just Vegas barely. over the Vegas total. Brady, you've got Joe with six. You've got Mitchie with seven. You can uh, take one of those or come up with one of your own, Brady. I, you know, I was in between both of those. I was either going to say six and ten or six and eleven. Um, I think that what I will say is that uh, they will win six games. All right. And they will lose 10 games and they will tie one game. <laughs> I'm going in between, baby. Wait, Donovan, yeah, I mean, Donovan McNabb is calling me. He said he didn't know that there was such a thing as ties in the National Football League. So, uh, yeah, as a matter of fact, and, they, and they've done it before 2016, okay. I believe. Right. So, no, I'm. that's just basically I'm just kind of in between. I've kind of been in between. I, I thought, you know, maybe if Drew Locke really emerged as yeah. a guy who looks like he could be a decent quarterback. Then um, I thought eight, maybe. Okay. Um, okay. But you know, and, and look, we all know Drew Locke has the, the higher ceiling because he's the more talented guy. And I, they feel like Geno Smith has the lower floor or has the higher floor as the guy who's been there and he knows what he's doing, but I just don't, I just cannot see them winning more than seven or eight games with Geno. Now, again, though, it's Geno for now. And Drew Locke could be starting, but I'm going to say 6-10-1. All right, I'm ready to throw some uh, some quick hitters at you. Here's the first one. Joey, who's going to be the Seahawks' best player this year, regardless of position? Let me, let, me, let me rephrase it. If I told you that one player is going to be a Pro Bowl starter, and you can't take Michael Dixon, that's the cop-out. One player. Can you take Tyler Ott? You can't take Tyler Ott. One player, regardless of position, is going to be a Pro Bowl starter for the NFC. What player will that be? Rashad Penny. Oh, really? If we're going with odds of who could start the Pro Bowl for the NFC, it's not going to be DK. The volume's not going to be there. You look at Noah Fant, I think he's capable talent-wise. I don't think the volume and the numbers about are going to be there to start Lewis? in the Pro Bowl. How about Damian Lewis at guard? I would say Rashad Penny, especially because Kenneth Walker is hurt, has a okay. shot. All right. And I think Charles Cross is another name I, I would keep in mind. Although with Trent Williams in the NFC, 
whatever. But yes, it'd be somewhere on the offensive line is where I would is where I would lean. All right, Brady. He left uh, Jordan Brooks. Well, you guys are missing the obvious one, which is Quandre Diggs. He's Quandre been Diggs, a Pro Bowler for the last two seasons, and I I get the sense that, and they've kind of said this as well, but this defense and the changes that they've made, uh, you know, scheme wise, I think it's really going to highlight their safeties. And I've, we've talked about that. I have about how that, that there's a chance that that gets Jamal Adams back to being uh, his kind of 2020 form, but he's got to stay healthy and, and the injuries are, are piling up uh, with him at, at a bit of a concerning rate. And so I'm going to say Quandre Diggs just because we've seen it the last couple of years. We've seen him play at that level. So there did we miss Quandre Diggs or did we just gentlemen and chivalry isn't dead. And we well, you really, yeah, you did. <laughs> that could be, you really teed it up for me. All right. I, I was going to struggle. I, if, I, I, if I might as well available. shift this because since you took Penny, Joe, I'll give you the next one, which is pin the yards and touchdowns this season on Penny and then I'll give the same question on DK Metcalf to Brady. Yards and touchdowns, yards rushing and touchdowns for Penny. 1,086 yards with eight touchdowns. And that's good enough to be an NFC Pro Bowl starter? Or did no, you, are you just- Mitch, but you're asking us to... <laughs> this is a team we just said that we expect to win six or seven okay, games. Okay. And so if you're looking for right. anything... Uh, okay, fine. Fourteen hundred and seventy-six yards. <laughs> no, you can't have both. Touchdowns. We're taking your first one. How many games is he going to miss, Joe? I think he's going to play in fifteen games. Okay. Pin the yards and touchdowns, Brady, on DK Metcalf, who just signed a big contract, but he's going to be—he's probably going to be a victim of a very soft passing game for the Seattle Seahawks, no matter who the quarterback is. What do you think? Going to say one thousand and forty-nine. 1,049 yards. yards. Yep. And an even 10 touchdowns. Look, I've said this before. The the It's easy to assume that the numbers are going to take a big drop off because he's got Geno Smith or somebody other than Russell Wilson throwing to him. But the three games that he had last year with Smith starting, his numbers were basically the same as they were over the, the full year. And so I, I don't know if that drop off is going to be as big as you might think. Brady, give me the name of the second leading rusher of the Seahawks at season's end. Is it just to, are we all just to assume that it will be Kenneth Walker or might it be somebody else that ran the ball particularly well during the preseason when it's all said and done? I think the second leading rusher is going to be Rashad Penny and the first leading rusher, also known as the leading rusher, is going to be Ken Walker the third. Wow. You see what he just did there, Joe? Yeah. Boy, oh boy, he just... He just rejected your notion of NFC. He took your NFC Pro Bowl starter and made him the second leading rusher on the team, for God's sakes. I gave him. I just put (laughs) Quandre Diggs on a tee for him. Yep. Uh, Mr. Joe. Yeah, it's a big prediction. If you're expecting Rashad Payne to have a big year, you're setting yourself up for failure. But if we're trying to go out on any sort of limb... He's a, a shot I would take because we know this team's going to run on the rely on the run game and all that. And yeah, I'm not going to put any money on it and uh, you know, whatever. So uh, yeah, I, I, I just, I just think that whether it's because he's playing really well or because and or because Penny is absent, you're just going to see a lot of Ken Walker, the third this season. And look, I know this is kind of a hard point to make right now when he's the one who's hurt coming right. off hernia surgery and right. Penny is the one who's healthy, but I, it would not surprise me if he gets he ends up with more touches. I mean, Rashad Penny, I've said this before, only two games in his career 
has he had more than 20 carries in a game? So I think that that could be, even if both guys are there, I think that could be closer to a 50-50 workload split than it is Penny being the primary guy and Walker being you know, the, the, the backup, Mr. Joe, the next question's for you. And it's kind of a nebulous question. It's no, there's not going to be data that suggests whether you're right or wrong, but I'll ask it anyway. And I, I, I come to you and call you Mr. Joe, because it's about Jamal Adams. Tell me the kind of 2022 season that Mr. Jamal Adams will have for the Seattle Seahawks. Somewhere in between what he did in 2020, where he set a defensive back record for sacks, what, 10 and a half. And what he did last year where he was essentially a zero, you know, the injury thing is really concerning. Um, you know, I absolutely worry about him staying on the field for 17 games. Um, but there's just, the bar is so low because of how poorly he played last year and how banged up he was that it has to be better than that. I just don't think he's going to get to 10 and a half sacks again. And I don't believe the interception numbers are going to be so great that it would make up for that from a a statistical standpoint. I'm very curious to see how this new three, four defense impacts Jamal Adams, how he's used, how his productions ends up uh, coming to be. I think if he can get in the ballpark of six and a half sacks, the Seahawks should be feeling much better about it. Brady Henderson, ESPN Seahawks insider at season's end, which cornerback will have started the most games? For the Seattle Seahawks, Sidney Jones, yeah, Sidney Jones, and I, I mean, I don't feel really strongly about that. I just think that he's going to be a guy out there. Uh, he, he's going to be at one of those two starting spots, but I, I don't, I don't think he's going to run away with that necessarily. I think you're going to see Artie Burns, you're going to see Kobe Bryant, whether it's inside or outside, and I think Tariq Woolen at some point has got a chance to start. I, I don't think they would go into the season with both Woolen and Kobe Bryant starting. That's just too much youth to have out there on the field at the same time. Uh, but I, yeah, I mean, I'll just say Sidney Jones just cause I feel like he's going to be a week one starter and I don't, that could be close between those four guys. Is Trey Brown not playing this year? Is he, yeah. So they, so the Seahawks just moved Trey Brown from uh, active PUP to reserve PUP, which means that he no longer counts against the roster limit, but he has to miss at least the first four games. So he's, you're not going to see him for the first month of the season. And that's not surprising just because he has not really looked all that close. Uh, the word from Pete Carroll continues to be that he's he's not even running full speed yet, or at least that was the case a week or so ago. And so he's not, he's not close to coming back, but he'll have a chance and, and he will factor into that mix when he gets, when he gets back, whenever that is. Joe, what would, a, what would a prediction show be without a little prediction about my favorite member of the Seattle Seahawks? How many extra points is Jason Myers going to miss this year for our beloved hometown football team? One, just one. <laughs> no, you're wrong. I'll bet you right now on that one. Is that because they're not going to score very many touchdowns? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's certainly part of it. Uh, and we'll end with this. Just one. We'll end the prediction part with this before we get to the guys doing work or ladies doing work, courtesy of Taco Time Northwest. Brady Henderson, Daryl Taylor, I, I I don't know how other teams are going to game plan for him. So I was kind of halfway expecting one of you guys to say that's the NFC starter. 
in the Pro Bowl for the Seattle Seahawks is Daryl Taylor has like a 12 or 13 sack season. Now, maybe they're going to double team him and chip him, and they're just not going to let him beat you. But boy, in the preseason, he looked like he's ready to take the next step. He just shot out of a cannon. So my last prediction for you is how many? How many sacks will Daryl Taylor? Will he lead the team, first of all? And second of all, how many sacks will he have this season? He's going to have 10 and a half sacks. That's what I'm going to say. And, and now that you mentioned him, he didn't come to mind when you posed the question about who's going to be the Pro Bowl starter, but he would be my next pick after Quandre Diggs, just because, as you said, he he looks incredibly fast. He's probably going to get some double teams, but you know he has the luxury of having a pretty good edge rusher uh, opposite him in uh, Uchenna Nwosu. So I, I don't know if offenses can necessarily do that every time. So um, he, look, what you have seen in games, I've seen that every day in practice as well. When they do the one-on-one pass rush drill, you have got to watch that because you just, you have got to see how fast Daryl Taylor is uh, coming off, off the snap. And so, yeah, 10 and a half sacks. 10 and a half sacks. As I said, Taco Time Northwest celebrates those that love doing some work. Last year, we always had the guy that was doing work always looking for good, capable people to join the Taco Time Northwest team. Joey, the Seahawks haven't played a game, and I'm assuming you're not going to take somebody from the Friday preseason game. So you can go off the board. Anybody in the world, any athlete, non-athlete, anybody that caught your attention that was doing some work, Joey Fan. You know what? I was going to go with the Mariners. You just won three uh, games against the Cleveland Indians, or sorry, Cleveland Guardians, in a four-game set over the weekend. Robbie Ray, Luis Castillo, the entire pitching staff doing certainly work. doing a lot of work. Yeah. But how about the ladies of the Seattle Storm? Give them some love on Sunday, a game one victory okay. against the Las Vegas Aces, the best team in WNBA. Tina Charles, 13 and 18. Uh, Brianna Stewart, 24 and six. Jewel Lloyd at 26 points. Sue Bird, 12 assists. A big win on the road by three against the Aces. A tip of the cap to the Seattle Storm, uh, who are continuing their journey through the WNBA playoffs. And doing some work. Brady, that's going to be doing a hard one. some work. That's going to be a hard one to top. Not that you have to top it. Did anybody catch your eye over the last week that was doing work? Rory McIlroy uh, won oh. the tour championship and yes. coming back from that, that big deficit, he just continues to have uh, that. I mean, you just, I watch a lot of golf. There is just nobody with as sweet of a swing as him, as him. Uh, obviously has a really good record, but I think he's also kind of emerged as a bit of a, a moral compass for the tour with all the lived affections and everything going on there. So I continue to be a huge Rory McIlroy fan. He is doing work. I'll tell you who else in the golf world, is doing work. Uh, uh, author, a writer by the name of Alan Shipnuck, he wrote the Phil Mickelson biography, which yeah. if you have not read that, I highly recommend that. Uh, really good writer, really good reporter. Um, he, and he has become one of my favorite mm. people to read outside of you know the NFL writers that I read. So Alan Shipnuck and Rory McIlroy, two guys that are doing some work. Rory McIlroy won the tour championship. I mentioned this to these guys before we started. You know, they started the, the tournament staggered the guys that had done better actually started with a lead. So Scotty Scheffler started with a big lead because he had done better over the course of the year. That's the way they did it. And Rory McIlroy came out of the gate with a quadruple bogey on the first hole and a bogey on the second hole. So two holes into the round, round one, he's five over par and he's 10 shots behind the lead and he ends up winning it. So very good. A very good taco time doing some work to Roy McIlroy. I'll give you a, a heartfelt one. We don't get too uh, serious on this note table, but I'm going to get a little serious here for a second. 
Most of our listeners will remember the name Tyler Halinski, who took his own life by suicide uh, several years ago at Washington State. It was a terrible story, one of a batch of terrible stories, similar stories of athletes who have fought through depression. Well, his little brother, Ryan Halinski, is the starting quarterback for Northwestern. And you may or may not know this, that in Ireland over the weekend, Northwestern, a 14-point underdog, beat Nebraska straight up, Scott Frost and Nebraska. And Ryan Halinski, for the first time ever, wearing his big brother's number three, quarterback Northwestern to victory through through for 300 over 300 yards in engineering the upset of the Cornhuskers. So you know who was doing some work, Taco Time? Ryan Halinski, part of the Halinski family, was doing some work. Okay? We've got uh, we've got um we got the Seahawks and the Broncos still a couple of weeks away. We'll get together on episode 205 again. I don't know what we'll talk about. There may not be a lot to talk about, but we'll we'll talk about Rory McIlroy or Alan Shipnuck or 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 the the Seattle Storm. But we thank Joey Fan. Joey Fan of uh, WinBet will be with us all season long as will ESPN Seahawks insider Brady Anderson. Boys, thank you very much. Thank you, but real quickly now, are are we in the post-production of this podcast? Are we going to add the Seahawks no table intro music that we had talked about? <laughs> I need more from you than just a little. I mean, we need more than like 12 seconds. 12 seconds of intro music isn't enough, but you need to work on this. Okay. Can you give us a little bit more? I liked sure. what I heard, but it wasn't very much. We can't co- accomplish much with just 12 seconds. How, how long do you want? I can do some more work on yeah, that. Yeah. Do some work. Uh, do, some on work. do some work on that. Give me 60 seconds to two minutes. Can you do that? Boy, how long of an intro do you need? <laughs> uh, Just play it on loop. Get, take what you got and put it on a loop. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Joey Fan and Brady Henderson. Thank you, boys. All right. Thanks, Mitch. There's just no question that John Waterstrat, owner of Fireside Home Solutions, is one of my heroes. Why? Well, his team helped us reimagine our backyard patio with a brand new fireplace unit that's been awesome. And number two, he's the title sponsor of all major championship pools that have been incredible on Mitch Unfiltered. How's that for an intro, John? Well, that's pretty cool. <laughs> Thanks, Mitch. So what's new in the world of fireplaces and garage doors? I know during summertime when we're on golf courses, we're not thinking about fireplaces, but that would be a mistake if you'd like to have a new one come football season. That's right, Mitch. Can't express enough that during these warm months when we want to be warm and we want to be cozy, we're not thinking about those things while it's warm outside. But when we're ready to get to that fall season, that first crisp, fall day. We want to be able to turn on our products, whether you need your service or you want to buy a new one. We're here. The schedule is a little bit looser. Products becoming more available. And so great time to buy right now. Give us a sense of turnaround time as it compared to when we were in the in the heart of the pandemic, John. Yep. When we were the heart of the pandemic, it was six to eight weeks. We could probably get something done with less than two to three weeks now. And so it's really good. Product again is available. Our installers are waiting to get some products in there. And again, it's a great time to buy. Because right now, if you want to get it done quickly, we can get you on the schedule pretty quickly. What I love about you guys is the process, how you came to our house a couple of times. 
You evaluated the space, and then you come up with different options for different budgets. That's what you guys do at Fireside. It's really important for us to help you design, select. And so coming to the showroom is just one part of the process. We want to be able to help you look at your space, help you design that perfect fireplace. And then again, make sure all the expectations are met so the installers know what they're doing and they can quickly and efficiently get that product put in your house. John, I'm not going to let you go. I know you're a huge Seahawks fan and local sports fan. What do you think the first post-Russell Wilson season is going to look like here in Seattle? A lot of pain? Uh, a little. I think it's going to be painful, but I think we're going to be presently surprised. I think our defense will be much improved. We'll start running the ball more. And as we looked at it back in the days, we won the Super Bowl. Defense wins championships. Fireside Home Solutions has been a major part of the reason why we are now more than 200 episodes into this journey. If you are a Mitch Unfiltered fan, you enjoy the show, then I ask one thing of you. Begin your search for a new fireplace unit at firesidehomesolutions.com. It's time for a visit from Daniel's Broiler CEO, Lindsey Schwartz. That's USC graduate Lindsey Schwartz. That's future Big Ten fan Lindsey Schwartz. Why did you let this happen? Hey, Mitch. Yeah, no, I, I never thought I would be a Big Ten fan. It is still getting my head around it. I will miss the traditions of the Pac-8, Pac Pac-10, Pac-12. Of course, I'm also a Husky fan, so I'll miss if we don't get to play them as much. But I'm also super excited to go to the Big Ten. Uh, USC has just dominated all of those Big Ten schools <laughs> over the years. We've been to more Rose Bowls than anybody. We've won more Rose Bowls than anybody and really just, just kicked the crap. I don't care who it is, Ohio <laughs> State, Michigan, Penn State. Look it up. Oh. Those guys don't know what they're in for. Oh, gosh. I've always thought that your outside seating options at the Daniels Broiler locations were underrated. Yeah, we've talked about it. There's so many great options. Leshy, where you can have views of Lake Washington. You can see the sailboats. You can see Mount Rainier, Lake Union. You also see sailboats. You see the float planes. And Bellevue, way up high, to see the Seattle skyline and the lake. You just can't beat it. What about those rare 90-plus degree days? Are they still comfortable on your outside seating locations? Yeah, you know, and we're having more and more of those, of course. We work really hard to make it comfortable. So we have awnings on all of our patios. Uh, we have umbrellas where we need them. We, we try to keep all the tables shaded and uh, make it as comfortable as can be. And if it ever gets too crazy hot, we've got great air conditioning for the indoor seating. So lots of great options. Every time you invite me over to Daniel's Broiler for dinner, which hasn't been in a long, long time, I should point out, You've always been the eight-ounce filet guy. In the summer, too, does Lindsey Schwartz deviate? Does he go off the board during the summer? Well, we need to go to Daniel soon. I guess it has been a while. But, um, yeah, I still like the eight-ounce filet. I get the eight-ounce Piedmontese a lot now, the grass-fed, which is really good. Yep. But in the summer, for sure, my favorite thing is the Alaskan halibut. We get it fresh for a few months every year in the summertime, and it is just so good. I, I sometimes get salmon the rest of the year because we always have great salmon. But halibut in the summer, I order it every time. It's the best. And we always like to remind everyone that Daniel's legendary cocktail mixers, like the old-fashioned, are still available in stores locally and on Amazon, Lindsay. Yeah, they're doing great. Summertime is, is a great time for mixed cocktails. We still sell them at every QFC, at Certain Total Wine and Spirits, available on Amazon. I've been enjoying them in the summer, and they're doing great. An amazing partner, an amazing sponsor, an amazing friend, even though they're going to the Big Ten. Lindsay Schwartz, the Schwartz family, and Daniels Broiler, a world-class steakhouse. Uh, 
Tuck, man, wide open, touchdown, Western Kentucky, Malachi Corley with his first score of 2022. Back to him, oh, sidesteps one and scores, touchdown Northwestern. Ladies and gentlemen, college football season is here, and look who's back as weekly contributor to Mitch Unfiltered. Taco Time Northwest presents the former Rose Bowl hero, the former San Antonio gun slinger, the former Colorado, University of Washington, and UCLA, and Arizona hotshots head coach. Yes. But most importantly, ladies and gentlemen, the father of the newly minted Arizona State Amateur Golf Champion, Mr. Rick Neuheisel. Now, you tell me CBS gives you an intro like that. They just can't do it. They just can't. They, first of all, they won't provide the airtime, nor do they have the background that the great Mitch Levy goes and digs deep for. Uh, you're too kind, my friend. It is great to be back with you. And here we are. 2022 is upon us. College football has kicked off. First, tell us five holes up with about six to play, and then the five with five to play. He had him dormy. Did he? he did had him did dormy. He start, did he start leaking oil there on the? He actually drove. It was a drivable par four. He drove the green, but the the ball rolled into a place where he basically had to chip it rather than putt it, oh. and he kind of flailed the chip, and the kid made birdie. So we go to the next hole. Then he short sided himself. The kid makes par. Then he goes to the next hole. The kid makes birdie. And I'm going, no, this isn't happening. Now, <laughs> mind you, I'm a four caddy. His mom was on the bag. So Sue started singing in his ear a couple of childhood favorite songs, lullabies, if you will. And he, and he makes it all happen. Very nice. So all's well that ends well. It was a great victory for uh, not only Joe, but for uh, – Rick and Sue. Rick and Sue Neuheisel had a blast that night. That was very, very nice. Nice to read that. Now, ladies and gentlemen, I must ask the most important question first, and that is, are we going to do better with Rick's picks? Rick's picks year? are going to be so golden this, this year. This year. Only because the odds will not allow <laughs> what happened last year to happen again. And I have worked hard to study the rosters. Yes. To learn the... Uh, the in, idiosyncrasies of all the coaching staffs. Yes. I, I will provide nothing but absolute clear logic and a pathway to riches. Well, your first bad season coincided with the sports books opening here in Seattle, which is not a good combo for either the host or the audience. <laughs> you, you walking down with your crisp <laughs> bills. Yes. They, they were all too happy to see you. So what I want to know is who's going to have a better season. Rick's picks or Scott Frost at Nebraska. I want to know. <laughs> Holy smokes. If Rick's picks don't eclipse Scott Frost at Nebraska, Rick's oh. picks are retiring because unfortunately for the youngster at uh, Nebraska, he's on uh, he's on a life he's on a he's on life support. This is what happens, Mitch. They lose to Northwestern 31-28. I think they were a double digit favorite. 14. 14 point favorite. Yeah. You know, he gave up his play calling duties. He hired Mark Whipple to come from Pitt. Mark Whipple, for those asking, or was the coach of the great Kenny Pickett, who's now battling to be the Steeler quarterback. 
So he gives it up. So what do you do? You're, you're giving up. What are you doing on the sideline? And he wanted to be aggressive. And this is where he chose to, to insert himself. Up 28-17, they go for an onside kick. He just was desperate to do something because he had given up his, his role normally on game day. And in so doing, he spit the bit. Mm-hmm. And uh, Nebraska fans, they, listen to this, Mitch. You and I grew up in an era where Nebraska was college football royalty. Of course, royalty. Of course. They are blue bloods. They have not been to a bowl game since 2016. Wow. Nebraska. Wow. It's hard for Scott Frost to get over this one. I don't remember you ever celebrating when you were a coach at your stops, people puking at training camp. Wasn't he wasn't he on the record as identifying yeah. we had 10 guys or eight yeah, guys? He, yeah. Listen, listen, we all understand the tough guy stuff, but to take that to the media and talk about that as if it's glorification, it 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 was a mistake and it put him in harm's way and Unfortunately, these, these, these mistakes are mounting Mm -hmm. and, uh, his old teammate, Trev Alberts is now the athletic director. You know, they clipped him salary and on October 1st, his buyout goes from 15 million to 7.5 million. So he better get it done before (laughs) October 1st. You could say that again, ladies and gentlemen, Rick Neuheisel presented by taco time Northwest. And I'm going to ask you for your, who was doing work for taco time here in a second. But first, it's been an off-season of some turmoil, Rick, between this free-for-all, out-of-control NIL arrangement right, to the uncertainty for so many schools in terms of their conference affiliation. Is there a black cloud? Do you feel a black cloud kind of lingering over your favorite sport as we begin these weekends? It, tem- it, de- it depends on who you're rooting for. You know, if you're a fan of anybody in the SEC or the Big Ten, you're looking forward to the matchups. I mean, why wouldn't you be? Texas and Oklahoma now included in the SEC uh, footprint, uh, at least they will be by 2025. UCLA and USC joining the Big Ten as early as 2024. More to come. Kevin Warren has been, uh, you know, upfront and out there saying that with looking to perpetually expand, I think was his words. This is a giant chessboard. We're watching the the machinations of Boris Spassky and Bobby Fischer, only in this case, they're Kevin Warren and Greg Sankey, and they're trying to figure out how to best do this. So the question is, where do the pawns fit, right? Where do, where do these, the little guys fit? And I would worry, except for this, this will all come down to what, the college football playoff expansion becomes. If it goes to 16 teams and there's a lot of movement now, if you listen to Gene Smith, the athletic director at Ohio state, he said 16 is becoming a very realistic number. The reason is because all these little guys want some automatic qualifying spots. The two big conferences want to make sure they get at least three and maybe four teams in. You can accommodate both if you have 16 and there, even though you won't have a great chance because of the riches that these power two will enjoy, you'll still have a chance much like the basketball tournament. You'll be able to try on the slipper and see if it fits. And I will tell you this in the world of 
football. If I'm a smaller school, I've never been able to recruit as good of players as I'm able to recruit today because the power two are saving spots for transfers. So they're not going after these tier three, three stars, if you will. And those guys often develop into the five stars. Now they may get poached later, like Jameer Gibbs, the Georgia tech back that's now at Alabama, but you're going to have the opportunity to have some really good players and if they have any sense of loyalty, heck, you might be able to keep them. But that and the trickle back, those guys who start at the power five, the power two, and then file, fall back because somebody beats them out, you've never been able to assemble a roster that on any given day might just end up wow. beating somebody really good. So I, I don't feel as badly as I might have. Real-time content is gold. And these football games are still gold. We're going to get paid more than we've ever been paid. We might not get paid as much as Big Ten or SEC schools, but we're going to have enough money to field a team and field a very, very competitive team. And how about the NIL thing? Can we get our arms around that, or is the toothpaste out of the tube? We can get our arms around it, but it's going to take somebody collectively bargaining on behalf of the players, which means as this pie, this television pie continues to grow, how big a slice do the players get? And in players, not just football players, but student athletes across the athletic spectrum, meaning that, you know, everybody who's got a scholarships is going to get a supersized scholarship. Once you do that, when you take this case back to court, the Supreme Court will sit there and look, hey, look, you're supersized. Somebody collectively bargained, somebody responsible collectively bargained for them. This is all good so that we can get NIL out of recruiting and back into the arena that it belongs, which is after you get on campus. Rick Neuheisel, as we get ready for the first big, big, big weekend of college football, I would say that storyline number one, outside of the two that we just talked about, of course, the new head, the, 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 the big name head coaches that are on the move, Brian Kelly, Mario Cristobal, Lincoln Riley, Billy Napier at Florida, Brent Venables, uh, Dan Lanning at Oregon, Marcus Freeman at Notre Dame. Who's in of that group? And maybe I'm missing somebody. Who's in from that, glu- that group for a glorious first year? And which of that, of that group might struggle out of the gate for some sort of reasons? Well, I really like Brian Kelly uh, at LSU. Brian Kelly is a proven winner. Uh, did it at Grand Valley State in Division II. Went to Central Michigan, got the Chippewa program rolling. Uh, went to Cincinnati, took him to New Year's Day games. Uh, then gets the Notre Dame job and was on the ropes there for a second. Did a little introspection, figured it out. Now is the winningest coach in the history of Notre Dame football, surpassing the likes of Newt Rockney. I mean, the guy can coach. What I'm told is he wanted facility upgrades. He wanted things that, you know, to stay current with the, the movement in college football. Swarbrook pushed back and because of these offers rolling in said, you know what, I'm going to go try and see what it feels like to be on that side where you can get anybody into school. Now, that's not to disparage LSU, but he's off to LSU. Nick Saban did the exact same thing, leaving Michigan State to go to LSU. I expect Brian Kelly to win a national championship while at LSU. I how, really do. How often is his is his accent going to change? 
What do you say? <laughs> I I ripped him. I ripped him and knew it. Hey, family, family goes. I tried to get four syllables in it. <laughs> he owned it. He owned it. He knew he was guilty. Okay. He owned it. Uh, listen, so you like, BK, so you like you like Brian Kelly at LSU. I like Brian Kelly. I think he's good. I think Billy Napier is going to be good. Uh, did you see his? coaching staff photo they got like 130 coaches it's the damnedest thing i've ever seen uh listen he can coach he's apprentice for both saban and Dabo sweeney the guy is going to be good at florida that'll be an interesting one and i like kalen DeBoer. not not playing homer uh but i think the reuniting of him and kalen De, uh he and michael Penix, Penix jr yeah, yeah uh who they were together at indiana and if you look at Penix's numbers when DeBoer was there, Penix threw for 68%. He fell under 60% with each of the guys that was after him. I like this thing back together to go with some obviously very talented Husky defenders. I think the Huskies are going to be a uh, good team in 2022. Give me four teams that will play for the national championship. I have Ohio State and Alabama. I think they're both clearly heads and tails above everybody else. I know Georgia's counted in that number. I think Georgia is going to be a target. And I, and I think because of the loss of so many good players on defense, I know they're reloading on defense that Stetson Bennett's going to come back to down to earth. So I'm going to throw them out. I'm going to go Utah. I think Utah, uh, this uh, Cam rising is a heck of a player that, that uh, Rose bowl was a confidence builder. I know it was painful for Utah fans not to get over the hump, but I think he's a heck of a player. I think Utah's going to get in, and I'm going to throw Texas A&M in there. I think Texas A&M with this avalanche of great recruits. Now they aren't ready-made yet, but they will factor in on their depth. And because of that depth, even if they lose to Alabama on October eighth, I still think they're going to be in a p- p- position to win the other eleven games. And an 11-1 A&M team gets in there as the four seed. So who do we root for between Jimbo and Nikki? That's the that's the you know the the off season turmoil the the dispute the spat the soap opera who do we I said, who do we pull for I said that argument should have been on uh, uh, Housewives of the SEC it should not have it should not have been uh, out there for the public consumption but with that being said uh, it was much ado about nothing listen there are no guardrails around NIL right now and until there are no one should be saying anything. They should just be taking care of their homes. But October 8th is going to be interesting. Remember, it was Jimbo that beat Nick Saban for the first time as an assistant, a former assistant of Saban. Yeah. Now, two, Kirby Smart did it in the national championship, so now we've really unlocked the door. But uh, it was Jimbo who did it first. Two more items of business before we conclude the first installment of Rick Neuheisel presented by Taco Time Northwest. And by the way, they like to celebrate those that love doing some work, Rick. There was some doing some work here There's in Week some Zero. Work. And they're always I, looking for new, good, capable people to join the Taco Time Northwest team. And we celebrate with them, so we like to identify. Now, I've already taken what to me is already the heartfelt story of the year in college football. Uh, I've gotten to know the Tyler Holinsky family. Everybody knows the Tyler Holinsky story from a few years ago. Such a heartbreaking story that ends in suicide. And yet there's his little brother wearing the number three jersey, a quarterbacking Northwestern to a two-touchdown underdog upset of Nebraska. 
Uh, he threw Ryan Alinsky through for over 300 yards. And I say Ryan Alinsky was doing some work in Ireland against Nebraska. You got to pick a guy each week. Give me a guy who New Highs will notice was doing some work this week in college football. Mitch, uh, one of the great things about being a head coach in college football is watching some assistants get a chance to go off and be head coaches themselves. Clark Lee was one of my assistants while I was at UCLA. He's a great youngster. He ended up being the defensive coordinator at Notre Dame before getting the Vanderbilt head coaching job. He goes to the Hawaii in week zero and knocks off the Rainbow Warriors six with 63 points. Vanderbilt, their quarterback, Mike Wright, was doing some work. <laughs> To use your lexicon and Taco Times lexicon, he was doing some work. He ran for 163. He threw for 143. The Commodores score 63 points. Not since the Nixon administration has Vanderbilt scored 63. That's doing some work. Absolutely. And now, ladies and gentlemen, you know... There's only one chance to get off to a good start. Do you get Don't one? act nervous here. Don't <laughs> act nervous here. This is going take this to the bank, ladies okay. and gentlemen. Okay, okay. Go ahead. Look, yeah. Week one is always uh fascinating because there are so many teams you just you anticipate are gonna be this, but you're not really sure until you actually watch them play. Notre Dame travels to Columbus, Ohio. Marcus Freeman. Now, he coached in the Fiesta Bowl, but this is his first game to start a season with his own team. He's been knocking it dead in recruiting. He's an Ohio State alum. He's going back to his alma mater with his new team, Notre Dame nonetheless, and now they're taking him on, and they are a two-touchdown, somewhere close to a two-touchdown underdog. Bad news for Marcus. Listen, I, I I wouldn't I would not have picked this for your opener, but that's the way it is. Ohio State, CJ wow. Stroud, a Heisman favorite. It's got Jackson Smith and Jigba. He's got Marvin Harrison Jr. He's got countless other weapons, including Travion Henderson, a running back that's included in the Heisman favorites. This and Jim Knowles, the number one defensive coordinator in the country, the Frank Broyles Award winner comes from Oklahoma State to help solidify a defense that was a little bit troubled, especially against the run next year, uh, last year. This is an Ohio State route. Three touchdowns. Take it to the bank. They'll win by 20-plus. Take the Buckeyes. Some people are asking whether C.J. Stroud is the next quarterback of a certain football team that plays about seven miles from where I sit right now. Could very well be. I don't know that a Pete Carroll team is going to have the number one pick in the draft. I just don't see that. But uh, they do have some some draft capital now with the trading of Russell Wilson and to manage that uh, appropriately. You never know. But uh, C.J. Stroud's hot. He's hot right now, and he's got plenty of weapons. I, I, I like the Buckeyes this week. Let me tell you what else is hot. The new Heisel segment on Mitch Unfiltered <laughs> and a certain Arizona State amateur champion and and his caddy and his four caddy. All three of them, all five of them are, are hot. <laughs> Thank you, Rick. It's great to visit with you. I'm so excited to have you each and every week during the football season. Thank you so much. We'll be back next week. 1-0, Mitch, and doing more work. <laughs> Boy, it's been a tough few months for our 401k plans, hasn't it? 
Here's Katie Versio of Evergreen Golf Call. Katie, give us some good news, will you? There's not a lot of great news in the market to report, except if you're a buyer. It's a good time to be buying and to have cash. It's also a good time to go three for three. I feel it. This is going to be my day. What's the theme of your quiz today, Katie? It's a market update to see how much you're paying attention. I'm paying attention. So go ahead. Question number one. U.S. inflation in May reached the highest level in more than four decades. What was the inflation increase? Was it 7.6%, 8.3%, or 8.6%? 8.6% C, Katie. Oh, you are right. It was 8.6% up from 8.3% last month. So really driven by a lot of the supply chain issues, energy prices. That's why the market has been really volatile around these numbers. And Mitch Levy is one for one for the first time in his history. I'm ready for question number two. All right. Number two, in June of 2021, oil was $68 a barrel. What is the cost today? Is it $100 a barrel? 120 or 140 $120 a barrel. That's right. That is right. That's what's really causing this inflation spike is that the cost of energy has just gone up so much over the last year. And Mitch Levy has a chance to go three for three as he predicted. I'm ready for question number three. This one could be an easy one. It's a true or false question. True or false. Both stocks and bonds are down for 2022. Absolutely true, Katie. That is true. You went three for three. Yes, so stocks are down 18% and bonds are down 11%. It's been a really ugly year where there's not a lot of places to hide. Essentially, the only area of the market that is up on the year is energy. That's why here at Evergreen, we think that active management makes a lot of sense. It used to be really easy to make money in the market for the last five or 10 years or so, where you just buy the index and it keeps going up. But now we think, you know, there's pockets of value. We think there's certain areas that make sense. So we think active management makes a lot of sense in this environment. And that's why it's a good time to check out everything that Evergreen is doing. Start with their website, evergreengk.com. We love Katie Versio, Director of Financial Planning at Evergreen Golf Call. Everything wealth. Unfiltered. Other Stuff segment, episode 204. Did I do too much? Well, no, you didn't. I, I love this stuff because I don't dig in like you do on the, uh, on the numbers. I know you love that stuff. I love, you that love stuff. the numbers. Yeah. So, yeah. no, I'm glad you broke it down like that. I just worry that it might be a little too good of a deal. Nah, don't worry about that. I mean, I have bigger things to worry about in my life, but on the grand scheme of things. But what if he at one point goes, look, that guy's making 65. I'm making 35. No, no, I'm not. I'm not showing up. I'm out. You're going to or I'm gone. You better trade me or I'm going to lame duck it. Well, look at look at it this way. If he's a two-time or three-time MVP, yeah, truly one of the, the greatest in the game, in the 10 years after he turns 30, he's going to average $35 million a year. Right. At the same time, the Mariners are going to try to bring in a quality number one starter and pay him $40, $45 million a year. Yeah, yeah. And he's going to have to sit down and watch <sighs> Joe Schmo from the Blue Jays, who comes off of a Cy Young year, mm-hmm. Sign a deal for forty million dollars or forty-two million dollars or forty. He's going to be. He who, will who, not by the be. way, plays once every five days. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to sting a little bit too. When I'm out here busting my ass in Arlington in the in the heat. That's not really where I wanted to go. <laughs> no, I know, but it's That's just, not really where I wanted to go. Hey, it's interesting to think about. It is. 
I'm just thrilled. I'm glad he's here. I mean, yeah, right. oh, and the big, I know, forget the it. The right? big I mean, picture is no Yankees, no Dodgers, that's right. no Red Sox. Yep. All right. Sure. I've literally got 17 no stuff no pieces st- of information. Okay. Other stuff. Sorry. Yeah. I've got 17 <laughs> yeah. other stuff pieces of information. Right, go. So do you want to go first? Do you want me to go first? Do you want me to just rattle a few off? Yeah, please Did do. you see Ichiro's speech? I did. That's yes. number one. Yes, what do you think of Ichiro's speech? I liked it a lot, and I just think he's courageous because his English isn't great, and he still went up there and tried to be funny, and he did the my oh my, and he seems so likable to me. I don't know. There's something I loved about it, and I loved. Do you see who threw out the first pitch that that night? Yeah, the Ichiro girl or yeah, something. Yeah, Ichiro girl. I didn't really know that story very there well. There was a viral video that went around where she was in he, right field he stand. He rubbed up against her. And she's flipping out. Like yeah. It's like her favorite. It's like a superhero, right? Yeah, like his rookie year, something like that? I think so, yeah. And so yeah. she and she didn't know he was going to be the catcher for her first uh, pitch. It was just I a saw cool, the video. Yeah, yeah, it was a cool moment. So yeah. People have been asking me, are you getting the Ichiro girl on the show? Oh, yeah. I think her name's Iris Skinner. Don't. You know her name? I, I watched the video and it just stuck, yeah. I thought, I, I'm not a huge Ichiro fan, I'll admit it. I wasn't a huge Ichiro fan while he was- As a well, player? As a player. Okay. I mean, he was a phenomenal talent, a phenomenal player. Yeah. All-star, Hall of Famer. I don't begrudge any of that. There were just parts of the whole Ichiro persona that I didn't love. Okay. But having said that, watching the the video of his speech, thought it was great. Yeah. Thought he was funny- Thought his timing was good. Thought his English was good. Yeah. I just thought it was great. Thought the my oh my was good. Thought the Moyer jokes and the, yeah, yeah. the loose kisses. I thought the whole thing was very fun. I loved it too. So there's item number one. I love that he comes out in his uniform to catch the first pitch. Okay? He loves being in a baseball uniform, doesn't he? I don't think he wants to quit. I, mean, I don't think he does back. either. He would wear yeah, that Help thing. him down the stretch run. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> item number two, Huskies football this Saturday. We're number 72, their champ. Yes, let's go. Get the shirts made. There was a poll in the athletic newspaper, whatever you want to call it, online magazine, mm-hmm. where they ranked every college football team in America. Your University of Washington comes in at number 72. Who's the starting quarterback? Do we know? Just behind Indiana. Okay. <laughs> Powerhouse of college football. Who was 2-10 and 10 last year. <laughs> Just behind. And they have Indiana's quarterback. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, God. Help me. Uh, well, I, I'm rooting for him. I hope they'll have a good year, but I don't know. I haven't dug in at all. Kent State versus Washington, 7.30 on Saturday. FS1 on the call. Can't wait. All right. So there's number two. Number three, NCAA football underway. I do want to mention, I did mention it with the uh, the no table guys. I love the story of Northwestern's win over Nebraska on Saturday. You probably haven't followed it because you've been camping. Yeah. But the Nebraska coach, Scott Frost, who yeah. was once a star player there, they were like gloating a couple of weeks ago that they had all these guys puke. I think you brought it. In the, did you bring that into the show? No. And I don't know the story. During uh, training camp, Nebraska offensive linemen were throwing up and getting dizzy and collapsing and okay. the whole thing. And they were gloating about oh, it. Oh, they were. Okay. We've had 12 people club. We right. have 12 people throw up. And everybody was like, that's so bad. And then the first game they go out in Northwestern as a two-touchdown underdog beats them. Nice. In Ireland. <laughs> but here's the best part of the story. The best part. You know the name Tyler Holinsky? Yes. Died by suicide, Washington State quarterback a couple of years ago. His father's father, Mark, and his, his mother have been on our show they a couple have, yes. of times. His little brother, Ryan Halinski, adorned in the, the number three jersey that Tyler wore, that big brother wore at Washington State, the quarterback of Northwestern throws for 300 yards in engineering the wow. upset of Nebraska. If that's not the feel-good story, because we hate Scott Frost and we like <laughs> Holinsky's. Yes. That's not the feel-good story. There you go. All Love right? Um, that's number three. Adidas. 
I told you they dumped Fernando Tatis Jr. If yeah. you care about that. They have come out with the following release. We believe that sport should be fair, Adidas says. We have a clear policy on doping and can confirm that our partnership with Fernando Tatis Jr. will not continue. Wow. It's a tough time. It's a I mean, free fall for him. Yeah. There's some question of whether the Padres, you know, they gave him that $340 million contract, all yeah. guaranteed, whether they're going to maybe fight or contest that contract a little bit. I don't think that they can. I, I, that'll go well with the fans. And I mean, it's just that doesn't seem like a good move. Oakland police are investigating two fans at the Mariners A's game last Sunday. Okay. They were engaging in a sex act in the stands at Oakland's Ring Central Coliseum during Sunday's game with the Mariners. Do you think that went viral at all? Do you think I've seen that? The Oakland Police Department was not alerted to this until the game, until after the game, and we have initiated an investigation, a spokesperson told TMZ Sports. (laughs) The fans could face up to six months in prison or a fine up to $1,000 if they are convicted. There's video from a lot of people's phones showing, showing a little... What do you call it? Uh, touchy well, poo, touchy no, touchy. No, I don't call it. Well, feely, no, it was, feely, yeah, it was, it was two oral, people oral. engaging together. Yes. Yes. yes uh-huh. Yeah. That's amazing. In 2022, you think you can get away with that. But I've told you before, every square inch of earth is being filmed at all times. How could you possibly think? And how are they going to find that? I mean, come on. There was no one in that section. I'm sure like, that you can't like look at those two seats. They're never going to find them, right? There's no way. But that is just brazen. I mean, that is. have you been to that Coliseum? I have. It's a dump. My neighbor just went. He said it was awful. I mean, he said it's a complete pile. That that's it. You know, our buddy Tepper. He went to a Raiders game there, and he starts feeling something like rain. He looks up, and there's a guy in the third deck just whizzing on everyone up there. It's just <laughs> God. Just, they, they let the prisons out on Sundays to go to Raider games. When apparently. I read this story to Danny O'Neill on the Peace Show, he said my problem isn't with them doing what they were doing. Yeah, it's just, it's just a gross building to be doing it. Yeah, in. <laughs> how could you get turned on at that place? <laughs> That's that's his problem. With, with, I that, like it. with that baseball team. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, some money matters stuff. Would you like some money matters? Yes. Nick Saban, one year extension and a raise. He'll now make an average of eleven point seven million dollars a year. I remember when coaches who made three million were the highest paid coaches in the history of college football. Yeah. He's making eleven point seven million a year till twenty thirty, which makes him the highest paid coach. Jeez. He wasn't until this new deal because his former uh, assistant Kirby Smart was. You've got more big names leaving for money from the PGA Tour to live golf. Cam Smith, the current Open champion, British Open champion, he's cashing in. But here's wow. my favorite. Here's my favorite part of that story this week. You know the name Hideki Matsuyama, of course, yeah. Masters champion, Japanese cult hero. Oh, he was fantasy golf hero. As Greg well Norman, yeah, yeah sure. Greg Norman offered him five hundred and eighty million to go to live golf, and he said, "Thank you, but no, thank you. Wow. I'm staying on the PGA Tour." Good for him. We talked about Tiger's $800 million that he declined. Well, here's a guy who's got a lot less money yeah. than Tiger Woods turning down $580 million to go to live golf. What's this Tiger Woods league that he's trying to Is that It's a virtual thing. Is, okay, yeah. so it's not really a competitor against the PGA. It's, it's not a third league that he's no, trying no, to No, no, no. He's okay. starting a little uh, virtual video game. Oh, it's okay. a video game. Oh, it is. Okay. You're going to play virtual golf. Two, two guys are going right. to play virtual golf. That sounds awesome. Artie Marie... Artie Moreno is selling the Angels. Wait, I would too if I had to pay Shohei. Are you kidding me? You have to pay that guy a lot of money. How much did Artie Moreno pay for the team in 2003? Oh, geez. I don't even want to know. $182 million. Okay. How much is the team? How much is he going to get when he sells them? $2.3 billion as a minimum. 
So from 03 to 2022, so 19 years, from 182 million to 2.3 billion. That's a good investment, you're saying? A good investment? That's a really good investment. We don't want him to sell as Mariners fans because he's been a shit owner and they've done nothing since he's owned the team. They're in disarray right now. Oh, yeah, we'd like him to to continue to own it. (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) Uh, More money matters. Vanessa Bryant, Kobe's widow. Yeah, I saw that. First awarded 16 million, then they take a million away by an L.A. jury for suffering distress over those crash site videos, pictures of her husband and daughter that the police officers were showing at bars. Yes, bragging about in the bar, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Another family that also sued also was awarded $15 million. So the Bryant family and this other family, $15 million each from L.A. County because of the police officers that were showing the pictures. And I think she's donating it all, too, to their foundation. I think I read that, yeah. So it's... I still don't understand who wants to see these pictures. Am yeah. I just being naive? Well, you're you're not really like you're not into the the macabre and all like like you like we talked about the the Theismann in, injury. You don't oh. you, you don't get off on that stuff. Like, Can't watch it. Yeah, I know. I, I don't. If like I that saw these pictures, I would literally have nightmares every night the rest of my. Life. I don't need to see well, bodies like that, especially the day it happened. I mean, he was showing them like the day or that it was so fresh and who wants and to sad? see that? people at bars? Really? Is that is that what well, bars have become? I don't think is that so. what you people to go to bars want? <laughs> you people, I, you want to see pictures of dead people like <laughs> no. arms? I mean. I mean, it literally the it, I know, I know, I don't it know. It was a gruesome thing. Awful, I know. Yeah. I don't know what the big payoff is for him, but yeah. Chet Holmgren. Oh, saw that. Woof. Will miss the entire rookie season after suffering a foot injury in Jamal Crawford's charity game. It was not because of the condensation on the floor, though. It was a just a it was just a thing with LeBron James coming down on a break and Holmgren and his very slight self getting in the way and boom, he's got a Liz Frank and oh, he's gone the rest of the year. So rough. I, I said, and I, I think I said this on one of the shows, I said, you know, I feel terrible for Jamal Crawford because that whole thing was going to be such a great moment for him and his charity. And then they have the condensation. Then they have to cancel the game. Yeah. Now they've got a rookie, a star rookie that's going to miss the rest of the year right. or the whole year because of a foot injury. So now who are you going to get next year? Good luck, right? Who's going to want to go do that? I, I mean, I'm... I'm I got to admit, he's in Oklahoma City Thunder. <laughs> Don't go there. <laughs> Never see, want to see a guy get hurt, but yeah. if a guy's going to get hurt, a prize rookie, let him play for the Oklahoma City Thunder. And be from Gonzaga? And be, oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, come on. We're, getting, be we're, from the we're firing them up. Don't leave the Gonzaga fans Shaquem alone. Griffin, who inspired so many by playing without a hand in the National yeah. Football League, has mm-hmm. announced his retirement from the NFL. Oh, that's a bummer. He was so inspirational out there. I loved him. I don't think there's much to say about Matt Ariza. Do you know that story? The punter, the <sighs> Buffalo Bills punter. Brutal. Released by the Bills after some really disturbing accusations and investigations have arisen about an alleged sexual assault of a minor while he was at San Diego State. Yeah, him and a couple other guys. Right. Yeah. So he's his. It looks like his NFL career is over before it starts. And although he was like a great punter. His like, first punt ever in the in, in uh, the NFL was eighty two yards. Eighty two yards. In, a like in, the, game. in the air. Yeah, it wasn't just a lucky roll. No, no, no. I mean, he. Yeah, they yeah. call him like the the punting god or something. Yeah, that's. That's rough. The Yankees have placed reliever Araldis Chapman on the injured list. Would you like to? He's got a leg problem. Would you like to guess? Should we play a little game? What caused the leg problem that has landed Araldis Chapman on the disabled list? And I'll give you a hint. I've never seen anybody go to the disabled list 
for this reason in my entire adult life. There's been some weird ones. So, I mean, I've seen never. guys steaming shirts while they're on themselves. Yes, yes. Third-degree birds. I've never seen this slicing one, Slicing limes for tequila I, and cutting their hand out for six months, you know. I am not I am not promising that when I tell you why, you don't say, oh, this guy, this guy, this guy, this guy <laughs> went right. on the injury list for this. I can't promise. I just, I don't recall ever seeing a guy okay. end up on the injury list because of tattoos. Oh, no. He got an infection. Yeah, that happens. He got an infection that landed him on the disabled list. The Yankees are struggling. He's an important, a vital part of their bullpen. He's now no longer available to them Jeez. because of a recent tattoo. When asked about the situation, Yankees manager Aaron Boone said, uh -huh. I don't have tattoos. That's a personal choice. Usually it's a safe thing, I thought. <laughs> He's probably so pissed behind closed doors. Oh, my gosh. By the way, do you think the Oklahoma City Thunder are pissed about a Seattle charity game costing them their number one. By pick. the way, yeah, the, the curse continues, doesn't it? I didn't even think about Same. that. Yeah. Um, the Paul Allen estate liquidating liquidation continues. You know, he's liquidating a lot of yeah. his a lot of his uh, holdings mm -hmm. per the request and the wishes of his of his uh, will. You know that the Seahawks and the Blazers day is coming where they are sold. Mm hmm. Microsoft co-founder Paul Allen, who died in 2018 at 65, he amassed a remarkable art collection I'm worth sure. over $1 billion. In just art. Christie's announced that it's going to oversee the entire sale this week. It's going to be the, the top personal art collection sale in the history of art. They're expecting over $1 billion. It'll take place at Christie's New York City in November the largest in the history of a private for a private collection. Unreal. And that's just his art. Just his art. Like what else is Over out there? Over one that, billion. That's oh, right. God. So the liquidation Amazing. of his assets continue. I'm I just wonder who's going to be the next owner of the Seattle Seahawks or when that's going to happen. Um I've got a couple of non-sportsy stuff. Jennifer Flavin, know her? Sounds familiar. You don't know her? Uh-uh. If I asked you who was Sylvester Stallone's wife, oh, what would yeah. you say? Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't know her name, but I, I know the story. Can you, pick, can you picture oh, her? Oh, sure, yeah. 25 years of marriage, I have filed for divorce from my husband, Sylvester Stallone. Yep. I, I If she would have just put in the in the release, I have filed for divorce from my husband, Rocky Balboa. <laughs> that would have been nice. I or know Rambo. He had a tattoo of her on his arm. Oh, he did. And he since, there's a they've shown a picture where it's now a picture of his dog, his Rottweiler that he loves. Oh. They somehow managed to turn his wife's face into the face of the Rottweiler. So yeah, things are not good in the Stallone household. No. She added, while we'll be no longer married, I will always cherish the more than 30 year relationship that we shared. They have Sophie, 26, Sistine, 24, Scarlet, 20. Yeah. Their daughters, they uh, tied the knot in 1997. J-Lo is pissed. Talking about tying the oh, knot. Oh, she is. Okay. Apparently at her wedding with... Uh, Benny. Super Ben, yeah. she decided to serenade him with a song that she wrote that has not yet been released. Yeah. And somebody took video of it Ugh. and put it on social media. Of course. It's 2022, everybody. She is livid. Wow. She's livid. This was taken without my permission, period. Whoever did this took advantage of our private moment. Right. I know where I know where you all are getting it from because we had NDAs and asked everyone not to share anything from our wedding. That is our <laughs> choice to share. So a song that she has not yet released is now out. Yeah. If you'd like to see her sing it to Ben.
which I don't really. That want nobody to was gonna buy or care nobody. about. No one gives a crap. God. Really? She's got. I mean, that, of all the things that she has to worry about in her life, she's got a pretty good life going on. Okay. Right? Say, so we're not. Yeah, yeah. We're not sad for her. Uh, no, we're not. Do you know the Richard Simmons story? I, I was. I was unaware yeah. of the fact that he had disappeared. I guess now that I think about it, I haven't seen him in a while. Yeah, there's a lot of weirdness about him and like a personal assistant attacking him and. Yeah, and then but TMZ did a small documentary about him. You can watch that, and he's since come out and said thank you for all the well wishes. And he looks great, by the way. Oh, he, so he has come out. He has since come out and said thank you for all the all the thing, all, you know, all the wishes. After nice decades box. in the spotlight, the 74 year old suddenly stopped teaching at his workout studio in 2014. He was last seen publicly over eight years ago. Simmons' disappearance sparked a podcast called. Uh, missing Richard Simmons, as well as numerous conspiracy theories mm -hmm. alleging the that the star was being held hostage in yeah. his own Hollywood Hills home by his housekeeper. Yeah, that's right. He had some crazy housekeeper, apparently, or some assistant or someone. I don't yeah. know. Yeah, but he's 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 OK, apparently, or at least he says he is. So we'll see. Maybe maybe he had a gun to his head when he was given that uh, that little speech. But no, I think he's OK now. And then I have one R.I.P. So I went through all 17. There you go. You let good. me go through all 17. You want my R.I.P.? You want me to wait? Well, Your call. Give it to me now. You Arthur well. Oberto. Don't know. Yes, you do. Oh, not the the pepperoni? Yeah. Really? Yeah. See, oh. a Seattle fixture who grew his father's sausage business into a multi-million dollar company sure. that was at one point the largest producer of beef jerky in the U.S. died Friday at his assisted living apartment oh. in Seattle. He was 95 years old. Oh, boy, Oberto. That was a big deal in the Seattle area my whole life. Beef jerky, go. pepperoni sticks. This is the guy ah, right here, Arthur Alberto. Rest in peace. Right. High school football is back, as you know, and we already have a fight in the stands between two grown we men. We do. Oh, fight broke out in the stands at a football game in Mississippi Thursday night, leaving one man bloodied, and the chaotic scene was, of course, captured on video if you'd like to see it. I don't know who knew they had cell phones in Mississippi, but somebody <laughs> did capture it. It all went down during a game between the Wayne County War Eagles and the Quitman Panthers yeah. when two men began screaming at each other. Turns out it was a coach from a third team, another school, who didn't keep his mouth shut. He was, I don't guess he was talking, and one of the dads walked down the stairs, turned around and said, meet me in the parking lot. And he goes, I'm going to oh, whoop shit. your ass. He goes, meet me in the parking lot and whoop my ass. And of course, the, the coach, the assistant coach, walks down the stairs, and here we go, and they go at it, and the coach ended up getting bloodied and getting his ass kicked. We just and, had an Aqib Tlaib oh, and his oh. brother deal last week. That, that was youth football. It was like little kids. Oh, yeah. that was? I thought that was high school football. No, that was like little kids. Where somebody yeah. got killed, right? Shot and yeah, killed. Yeah, yeah. Uh, his, his brother turned himself in for... Oh, God. Yeah, I know. Here we go. It's like the first high school football just weekend. enjoy and, a ball game. By the way, he's, a, he's scouting. He's a coach. Like, you can't keep it together. It's one thing if you have skin in the game. I still don't agree with it but if your kid's out he's just a scout and he couldn't keep his mouth shut and the guy challenged him to a fight they're both like 16 oh, receding Jesus. hairlines and they're wrestling around and bloody but and did either of them have to pee on a long <laughs> flight for two and a half it's hours. unclear i'll keep reading two pro australian rules football teammates are now in hot water tell me you saw this story mm -mm. so they were captured on video engaging in a wild public sex act at a bar earlier this month Ooh. according to multiple reports the competitors who play for glenn waverly football club in melbourne made a bet during a day of heavy drinking on august 14th requiring the loser to perform on the winner oh. shockingly the man who lost the wager completed the task in the middle of a bar all while patrons stunningly looked on the footage soon went viral and this week reps for the club which 
competes in the Eastern Football Netball League or whatever. They were outraged and said the guys would be disciplined. The club is taking immediate action to address the serious breach of culture and values that has occurred within this incident, team officials said. Wow. That's a guy who uh, does not welch on his bets right there. Good Lord. And the two will be appearing at the Oakland Athletics Coliseum. (laughs) Yeah, the the Oakland A's call that Wednesday. (laughs) (laughs) Dennis Rodman will not be going to Russia after all, as we discuss. Uh, He's not going to figure this whole Brittany Griner thing out? No, the folks at the White House made it very clear that if the worm planned to go, he'd uh, not have D.C.'s blessing. So with State Department's spokesperson Ned Price saying he would not be traveling on behalf of the U.S. government. We'll have to figure this out without Dennis Rodman. Yeah, exactly. How about Justin Bieber? Can I help? (laughs) Not clear yet. Anybody know what I can do? (laughs) That's right. All right, I got a bunch of RIPs I'll run through. Len Dawson, I don't think we talked about he was sick, right? Yeah, we talked about it last week that he was in hospice. Yeah. I love Lenny Dawson. I didn't really know him as a player because that's a little bit before my time, but I knew him as a broadcaster, as an announcer on NBC, on HBO. I think the original Inside the NFL on HBO, that show, I think was Lenny Dawson, was one of the original characters. He was always a really sweet guy. I incorrectly said on the last time we talked about him that he was in Super Bowl two. He was in Super Bowl one. He was in the first right. Super Bowl. Wasn't he the MVP of the Super Bowl? I think no. they lost. Or did they the lose? Yeah, they yeah lost. to the yeah. Packers. Yeah. 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 Anyway, Our he was star. number five overall pick in the 1957 NFL draft. Jesus. He was still alive. That's amazing. Eventually became the starter for the Dallas Texans in 1962 and then okay. went on to an amazing career. So here we go. RIP to legendary high school football coach Gary Gaines. Now, you may not know the name, but he was portrayed in the iconic Friday Night Lights yeah, book and this. film. Do you ever read that book? No. Or watch the movie or the TV show? or, or well, I think series. I watched a little bit of the series, Friday Night Lights. The book was amazing about, like, I mean, I was in high school, but it just opened my eyes to how big football is in Texas. Texas yeah. I, like, these guys are playing in front of 30,000 people in high school, and they get recruited to go play in front of 8,000 in college. <laughs> They're like, where's our private planes? We were right. This sucks, 8,000, you know. But just amazing, amazing guy. So his name, uh, Gary Gaines, was 73 years old. Motown's first female solo artist, Mabel John, has died. That's kind of a cool distinction to have. The first ever female solo artist for Motown. She was 91 years old, ended up singing back up for Ray Charles, and she had a whole bunch of hits. The actor who played the owner of The Peach Pit on Beverly Hills 90210. You had to have watched that show, no? I did. But I don't remember. I'm trying to think the peach pit. So the peach pit was the watering hole for Brandon, Brenda, Dylan, Kelly, and the rest of the high schoolers. And he, he died. His name was Joe E. Tata. Okay. He uh, played Nat on the iconic show. He was okay. suffering from Alzheimer's since 2014. You look at his IMDb, it's Magnum P.I., The Rockford Files, Hill Street Blues, 18. Oh, you know, he's all, one my, of, all my favorites. Batman. He's one of those guys who was just a ton of stuff. 80, yeah. 85 years old. So rest in peace to Joe E. Tata. And then I got a few headlines. Sure, I want to hear the up. headlines, please. An 81-year-old woman was arrested at a Warsaw airport on suspicion of illegal possession of heroin worth a half a million dollars. Officials in Poland say that if convicted, she could face a Polish firing squad. You know, the one where they stand in a circle. People are sending... Really? We're doing Polish jokes? <laughs> we... I didn't know. It's so old and really played doing... out. I didn't know if you'd even get it. All right. Do I get it? I don't know. People are sending their worn out sex dolls to Galmato Haven, who bills itself as the only official real doll certified repair center. So as you lament your crappy job right now, just remember you could be cleaning out worn down sex dolls for a living. A viral video shows people at a festival in France wearing sheep costumes, walking bent over like the animal and also running around the area, which looks like a sheep's pen. I have to say it was sort of refreshing seeing a bunch of people moseying around like sheep who aren't wearing red Make America Great Again hats. (laughs) 
Uh, I don't care. I you had to get, get Polish. First Polish and then let <laughs> I'm, I'm just ready to alienate everybody at this point. And finally, a Rikers Island inmate has been sentenced to prison for throwing feces oh. in the face of a city Department of Corrections officer. Bronx native Nicole Smith. That's right, Nicole Smith. Yeah. She received 18 to 36 month sentence after pleading guilty to assault with a weapon of mass expulsion. Thank you. <laughs> Not sure if I should be disgusted or turned on by that. I'm just still trying to work that one out. <laughs> a weapon of mass expulsion? Nothing? Uh, all right, all right. I, I got it. it. I, right, got right, it. Right, right. I got it. There you go. All right. That's it. You okay. know what? Oh, by the way, we did not speak about the Seahawks. That's unbelievable. Well, we did a whole segment on the Seahawks with the no tape. No, but you and I, like the Geno Smith and none of yeah, that stuff. Yeah, we didn't talk about it, no. Like, what are the odds that be, before the, like, Russell Wilson coming to town, we should be fired up? Well, that's next week. We'll talk about that next week. There's still know, two weeks before the game. Geno Smith is the starter? I mean, yeah. Jeez. I mean, we just like, eh, eh, Hawks. we got a couple weeks. Okay. All right. It's kind of like they threw cold water on us for a couple weeks after the third preseason game. Yeah. we got two weeks to go before okay. the, uh, yeah. We'll get there eventually. Yeah, we will. Is there a chance that he could be not named the starter as we get closer to the, the opener? No, no, no. He, he will start that He's game. He's the starter. Barring injury, he'll be the guy. He's the starter. <sighs> okay. Gino against Russell Wilson on Monday Night Football, ladies and gentlemen, with Joe Buck and Troy Aikman on the call. Oh, yeah. That's right. Yeah. Wow. All right. The first game that they do. All right, that's it. Episode 204. Any last parting words? I Expulsion? Just, I'm just looking for Bryce Young or CJ Stroud to be one of the quarterbacks. You're going to be in a fantasy league this year? No. Dude, I've been fantasy free for so long, I can't go back. Ladies and gentlemen, that's episode 204 with Hot Shot Scott. It's in the books. 